Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Thursday morning, September 7, 843-661-0937 is our number. Good morning. No shot, no shot, Josh. Good morning. No mask, no mask, Josh. That's me. Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Everybody in good spirits here today? Yes, sir. A lot to cover, a lot to talk about, getting back in the groove after a um, you know, a long weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. I admitted that I sat down in this chair Tuesday inadequately prepared. I um, knew nothing about what's going on in the political world other than um, Joe Biden is demented and Donald Trump is a little bit crazy. I uh, had an interesting conversation yesterday. One of these, um, I guess the word of the week is anecdotal. One of these anecdotal conversations, an attorney here in town, I'll leave unnamed, um, kind of, a, it was obvious to me he wanted to discuss this. And um, so we did. Uh, I'd finished my workout. He was just beginning his, and he started talking about Trump. And I knew where he wanted to get. I mean, there was no doubt in my mind where we were going to end up because I just know the guy. I've known him a long time. Not a close and dear friend. Uh, would be somewhere between an acquaintance and friendship. And I've never asked him about his politics. Um, it's probably a little bit of a mixed bag, to be honest with you, knowing the guy. Um, but it was obvious to me that he was not going to walk out of the locker room and, and let me walk out of the locker room until we had this conversation. And it ultimately ended up with, they gonna make me vote for Trump. <laughs> I had a similar experience yesterday. I want to hear yours. Well, it was just it was it was it was. I said, dude, you don't have to be guilty about that. I mean, there's nothing. He said, no, I voted for him the first time. I probably should have the second time, but I didn't. I regret not voting for him the second time. I bought into this centrist Democrat, you know, nonsense that people tend to buy into. Um, I felt we needed some normalcy, you know, in 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 out of respect to the union, so to speak. I mean, you know, the um. Can the union sustain eight years of the craziness that Donald Trump brought to the White House? I was one of those gullible enough to say, probably not. You know, let, let's vote for a mild-mannered and, you know, a career politician, and I regret it. And he said that in the Republican primary, he was really excited when DeSantis got in because he thought DeSantis provided enough of this and enough of that. I mean, what you would expect a thoughtful person to kind of think through, enough of the Trumpism and enough of the non Trumpism, he said, but I'm telling you, since the, um, I mean, his words, here, here were his words, because I kind of wrote them down. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, I know I'm paraphrasing. I don't think I'm missing uh, the, 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 the gist of what he wanted to articulate, but he basically said, um, uniting a country requires um, the set of rules and standards applying to both sides of the debate. And he said, I've listened to you in the mornings talk about you don't particularly like the two-party system. You know, not that you are a for a uh, parliamentarian or parliament sort of government, but you've got like to see cobbled together factions to create a government, a governing majority or consensus. I said I would. I mean, you know, I think, you know, and I've used the analogy, if I want to go buy a $13 Happy Meal today, there's six or eight or ten places I can go. If I want to buy, I got to speak in Sumter tonight, right, Josh? Am I right? That's, That's this right. Evening. It's 630. I mean, I, you know, I've got several different pairs of Gucci shoes I can wear uh, when I when I make my, my, my remarks. Sure you um, do. But if I would vote for the leader of the free world, it's either or. It's got to be this person or or that person. I mean, you can waste a vote on a green candidate or a libertarian candidate, but you know as well as I do, it's a protest vote and nothing else. Either a Republican or a Democrat is going to win the, uh, the White House. But anyway, uh, I mean, he was very aggressive, and he said um, – how do you unite a country when law and government are used to hide and protect the corruption of one side, manufacture and seriously punish the other side? Wow. You want to be a guest? 
mean, that's what I asked. I said, "You want to be a guest tomorrow morning?" No, not not at all. But how do you how do you not how do you expect one side to come along and get along and help unite the country uh, when when the government and you know law enforcement are being used to hide and protect his words, not mine, the corruption of one side while manufacturing and severely punishing uh, the others. Now, that matters to me because he's an attorney, mm-hmm. and he's not just out of uh, law school. I mean, he's been an attorney for 30 years in this town, and um, and it was just obvious to me, and I made the notes as I got into my car on my phone. I kind of jotted down, uh, you know, United the Country, blah. Oh, but that, uh, that's not what he said. It was a little bit locker room-ish. Uh, what he said, how do you blankety, 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 blank, 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 you're not the country uh, when you're, you know, using one set of laws and standards and rules for one side and another for another side. But it ended up in a place where he voted for Trump in 16 because he won the nomination. He didn't vote for Trump in the primary. He's a Rubio guy. Get it. I mean, he's exactly who I'd expect him to be. I mean, this guy would, I mean, if you said among those 13 candidates, who do you kind of want to see as president he would be a little less establishment he, he would not be establishment enough for jeb bush but he would not be a trumpster i mean there's just no way he would go there so he would find him some you know i'm um, somebody that he found acceptable to both sides of the equation he was a rubio guy out of um i guess an obligation to the republican party of the post obama era uh speaking of obama oh okay <laughs> some things we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stick by my theory on that. We'll get to that as the show progresses. I watched all 42 sick minutes of it um, yesterday. Didn't know the old boy was a tobacco, uh, crop tobacco in South Carolina. You know, I that know mattered that to me. I'm telling you guys, that mattered to me. I'm jumping around, and I know I am. Forgive me. It mattered to me at the end when he said, you know, it basically Tucker insinuated, so you're saying Obama's not who he says he is. He said, well, I, mean, I don't know who he says he is. I know what he is. I know what he was. There you go. I know what he was. I don't know what he is. I know what he was. He was a gay black man who liked to, you know, uh, smoke crack. He said, I didn't smoke it. I snorted it. You know, uh, Barack chose to smoke it um, to each his own. But he basically, Tucker said toward the end, how did you, how have you formulated the opinion that he's not who he says he is? And he said, Tucker, I am a gay man who grew up in rural South Carolina. Hmm. I couldn't tell the world who I was. <laughs> and when you're one of those, you tend to identify <laughs> with, with others who are not exactly who they say they are. Interesting. So it was very obvious to me um, who Barack Obama was. I still believe my theory. Birds of is, a feather. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there, there you go. And and you got to believe. I mean, this guy is in his 60s, I think. And... um. It's a little bit like I thought of the Bruce Springsteen story that John Stewart told when Stewart introduced Springsteen as the Kennedy Medal of Honor recipient. Remember when he said that um, James Brown and Bob Dylan had a baby, but they couldn't, you know, they couldn't make public that relationship because of you know same-sex interracial marriage at the time or relationships. I mean, he was being quite humorous, mm-hmm. try, trying to make a statement about you know Springsteen being a a performer and a songwriter. I mean, that's in essence what he's trying to do. But but when he said, you know, in that period of time, being involved in a same-sex interracial relationship probably wouldn't have been real popular. And I think this guy came from that place. And when he said, you know, I was raised in rural South Carolina, on, on basically on a tobacco farm, you didn't run around announcing that you were a gay man. You just didn't. You kind of hid. You lived in the shadows by and large. 
and you hope nobody found out about your alternative lifestyle, so to speak. And I guess, you know, he's a bit liberated today. Um, I mean, he's, he's a different dude, but I would encourage if somebody has 42 minutes, and I did last night, 42 minutes of watching, and I watched it in its entirety because um, I want to know if the guy's lying or not. And I so don't did think you find he is. him credible? Well, I mean, I, 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 credible. I don't know what credible is today. I mean, people are good at lying. I mean, people are really good at, you know, articulating. And he was not, I'll tell you this, he's not a nut. I mean, he's not at all a nut. The most interesting revelation that I knew nothing about, because I'd heard this story. I mean, I didn't know he was a backer cropper from South Carolina, but I'd heard this story that there was this dude out there, and he's accusing Obama of being a gay drug addict. Or, excuse me, gay and using drugs. Never said he was an addict. He kind of admitted he might have been an addict, but he never accused Obama of being an addict. But he said, um, one of the interesting, Daniel Young. Anybody know that name? Daniel, I think it's Daniel Young. You've heard the name? I just, I heard it around this story. Yesterday. Okay, Daniel Young was the, uh, I guess, the music director in Jeremiah Wright's truck, uh, church. Daniel Young was kind of noted as being gay in that church. Um, in 2007, before the presidential election, Daniel Young was killed, murdered, um, shot at short range, no forced entry, none, none of that other, you know, I, I mean, I'd never heard that story until last night when I watched the 42 minutes. And um, I mean, he, the guy says he talked to David Axelrod, and Axelrod basically asked him to recount the experience he had, said he talked to Daniel Young. And Daniel Young basically, uh, you know, implied some certain things. But, but once again, um, is he credible? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Is he telling the truth? I certainly don't know. I, I don't. I can tell you this. If Elon didn't own Twitter or Tucker was on Fox, that story wouldn't see the light of day. I mean, the only reason that that person is allowed to speak to so many people that he's never spoken to before is Elon Musk owns Twitter and Tucker Carlson is no longer a Fox employee. I mean, it's almost as if this was where Tucker wanted to go at Fox. And, and I still believe that Tucker is, um, I mean, whether it's right or wrong, I think there's vengeance in his heart. I think Tucker sees himself as somewhat of a warrior and a, a kind of a, a messenger. And I don't want to say, I, I thought about it last night. Is Tucker perceiving himself as somewhat of a gladiator? I mean, you know, gladiators don't wear bow ties. I just say that. Um, so it's hard for me to perceive Tucker as being, I mean, he raised in La Jolla and went to Georgetown. Come on, he ain't a gladiator. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? He's about as tough as you can get from where he comes from. But he is a bit fearless. I mean, I think we could agree to that. He has financially gained, he's gained financial independence, right? And, and, and I'll tell you this. I watched Tucker on um, Joe Rogan. Uh, was it Rogan? No, Tucker was interviewing Portnoy of Barstool. And Portnoy began, began kind of interviewing Tucker. And Tucker says, man, I got nothing bad to say about the Murdochs. I mean, I, you'll never hear me badmouth the Murdochs. They gave me unbelievable control of my show. They paid me more than I ever imagined a man was worth to sit down for an hour and talk about politics in prime time. Um, but, you know, Fox News is not run by the Murdochs anymore. It's run by sensitive females. And, and these sensitive females have a different set of dispositions. And, you know, what was fair game with Rupert is not fair. And Roger Ailes in particular is not fair game uh, any longer. But um, th there's just a lot of things leading me to believe that some of the suggestions we made yesterday about Trump are going to come to fruition. Um, Jeff yesterday, and I'll say this uh, redundantly in hopes that he hears me. Um, Jeff said yesterday, remember several times he's brought up the Federalist Society? 
you know, they're the um, I mean, they're the gold standard of conservative legal minds. They're they're the ones that Trump deferred to to give him the list that included, you know, Amy Coney Barrett and Matt Kavanaugh, not Matt Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, remember that? Well, I mean, there's about sixty thousand attorneys that are members of the uh, Federalist Association. About ten thousand law schools and about sixty thousand. The law schools are called affiliates. The lawyers are called members. So there's about ten thousand institutions, not all law schools, but institutions regarded as somewhat conservative in the legal profession, maybe a law firm, maybe a university. Um, so, so anyway, 10,000 plus 60,000. Stick with me, Pamela. It's early. That's 70,000. So there's about 70,000 opinions. You know, whether the university speaks as one or the think tank speaks as one, there's about 70,000 voices within the Federalist Society um, anybody ever heard of William Bald or Michael Paulson? One's a University of uh, Chicago law professor. The other's University of St. Thomas law professor. They're the two of 60,000 that have expressed Trump should not be allowed to run for re-election. I mean, that's the, when Jeff says the Federalist Society. There are two law professors that are members of the Federalist oh. Society oh, out goodness. of 60,000 members and 10,000 <laughs> university affiliates that, that say that. Well, that sounds um, about right. Well, I mean, that's two out of 60,000. Yeah. You know, that's good enough for, you know. And it's a, it's, it's the MSNBC talking point. He was using it to, prove, sure. to try to prove his point. Well, I mean, it, but it's the CNN, MSNBC yep. regurgitated talking point. There's no credence to it. I mean, if, 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 if there were 60,000 radio shows, you know, broadcasting every day in America, and two of the 60,000, you know, said something, does that carry the day? I mean, that, uh, that would be, you're talking about on the fringe and, and somewhat of an outlier. That would be the ultimate outlier of all of all outliers. But anyway, I just wanted to make, I thought that was the case. I didn't say it yesterday because I wasn't sure. I, wasn't, I was not sure how many were in agreement that this is, and they've written a 125-page um, dissertation of why Trump should be disqualified. Um, they're, 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 that story is gaining steam. I mean, that, that's going to be the next big story is the Democrats trying to stop you from being allowed to vote for Donald Trump. Not going to happen in South Carolina. Forget that. But, but there, there are beginning to put pieces in place that will, if Trump wins the nomination, I, I mean, I don't think the chances are 50-50, and I don't have any idea how this would, would sort itself out. But if Trump is the nominee and he's polling about like an incumbent, I mean, I read two stories yesterday. Never before has someone run this positively in the polls as a non-incumbent, but he's kind of an incumbent. Yeah, very unique. I mean, but it's, he's, it's very unique. So I when would, you say he's running like an incumbent, um, I mean, his numbers are about like Biden's. I mean, he's not the prohibitive favorite, not the overwhelming favorite. He's the inevitable nominee. I mean, I'm ready to say that. I don't know how you um, derail, you know, the train that is Donald Trump coming down uh, the track. But when you look at the margin between Biden and Kennedy, it's about the same as Trump and DeSantis. So he's polling about like a nominee. And I think they have determined they being uh, the, the political left, they've determined, and I guess the never Trumpers, the Lincoln project crowd would be in bed with the, um, with the left on this story. But I think they've decided, and I'll get to this in a second. We're going to try to run down uh, Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly had an interesting bit uh, day before yesterday. I found it yesterday. It was something I wanted to uh, got to get uh, for those of you who don't listen to the, uh, to the Sunday morning shows or watch the Sunday morning shows. I'm like, it's kind of part of my job description, but, um, but anyway, Stephanopoulos 
Uh, and, and the way they do this, Rev, is so interesting because they don't give the Ramaswamy answer. They just give the Stephanopoulos question and then the other question and then the other question. And it's as if, well, I don't, I don't want to steal the thunder. We'll get to that in just a few seconds. But, um, but yeah, the next big story, probably early 2024, can Pennsylvania figure out a way to get him off the ballot? Can Arizona figure out a way to get him off the ballot? Some of these states run by Democrat legislatures. Can they figure out a way to get him off um, the ballot? I mean, if that's not banana republic, I don't know what is. You know, let's um, let's destroy his presidency so he loses reelection. Done. Let's um, let's impeach him. We didn't stop him from becoming president, but we've done everything we can to delegitimize his ability to lead. Um, done. Now let's um, let's impeach twice. Impeachments are rare; hardly ever happen. Let's do it twice. Done. Um, and then he decides to run again. And when he announces he's running again, the indictments the indictments start coming. And the impeachments are rare. The indictments are unprecedented. But you got indictment one: no damage to Trump in the poll. Indictment number two: no damage to Trump in the poll. Indictment number three: a little bit of an uptick. And Trump's support, obviously, amongst Republicans and even amongst independents. And now you've got a fourth indictment, and nothing has worked. I mean, nothing has worked. All right, here's my story. You had the story from the attorney you talked to at the, at the gym yesterday. Uh, I talked to somebody. I'm going to try to protect the innocent here. Be very careful. Uh, a female uh, who I would have considered a never-Trumper. I mean, throughout Trump's presidency, and the campaign, I mean, just never a good thing to say. There's, I, I tried through because we would have these po- political conversations, and she would never say anything good about Trump. Just hated him. Certainly didn't vote for him in sixteen. Did not vote for him in twenty twenty. So yesterday, I was just curious, and my curiosity was basically, hey, all these indictments. You know, this is politically motivated. In my opinion, what is your opinion? As a never Trumper, I mean, does, does this sway your mind? And before I got the question out of my mouth. She said, I'm going to vote for him. I mean, before I even finished, hey, let me ask you something. You know, Trump's been indicted four times, and they're really going after him. I'm going to vote for him. I said, I mean, that floored me. I couldn't believe it because I would have considered this person a never-Trumper. And I know exactly who you're talking about. And I'll say this. If the election were today, it's not. But if it were, Trump's president, period. I mean, he's president, not by a wide margin. I mean, this is still a, a deeply divided nation, but I've got no doubt in my mind. Now, I don't know how the indictments play out. I mean, Trump has not done a good job on the legal front. You would agree to that. I mean, he's just not, Josh, I think you would agree. Trump has not done a good job at defending himself legally. I mean, he does a great job on the campaign trail of attacking and defending attacks, but he's got to get better at defending himself in courtrooms. But if the election were today, there is no question in my mind that Donald Trump wins the presidency of the United States. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Someone on the phone. Let's go there. David in Hartsville. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ken. Uh, first-time caller. I uh, appreciate you guys. I just want to say that um, if you look, I've been having discussions with my, my friends, and they're, they're right-leaning. I mean, I'm from the South, and they, they, they're already picking out who they're going to pick besides Trump to vote for. And I'm trying to let them understand it's, it's both parties against Trump. 
it's, it's not just the Democrats. It's the Republicans, too. And can't, they got to see through it, Ken. That that's, what the, that's what they're trying to do is get him off the ballot. They don't want him in politics. He has upset their out card. You guys agree? Well, thank you, sir. Pre- yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, no, no question no about doubt. it. I mean, it's a, um, it's a third of the Republican Party joined with all of the Democrat Party. And I've said this a hundred times, guys. The Democrats do a better job of circling the wagons. I mean, they know they've got a weak candidate, but they're going to do what they can to lie, cheat, and steal to get Joe Biden elected. And, I mean, it, when Mike Pence gives a speech yesterday, you know, a, a moment of choosing, I mean, it's, this is not the moment that was 1979 or 1980. I mean, America in 2023 ain't who it was in 1980. And it's almost like, I mean, I think Mike Pence is a good, decent, and moral man, but he's not a man for this moment. I mean, that's not the speech for this moment. This is a, a politically chaotic period of time. I think it's necessarily chaotic. And I go back to what my friend said yesterday. When someone talks about uniting the country, I mean, imagine if you're on one side. And you feel so aggrieved. You feel so um, defensive in everything you do. In other words, you've got, I mean, Andy McCarthy, it would be far too much for me to try and explain. McCarthy does this at times. And I, I mean, I, I guess really smart guys who are real knowledgeable about law and order, I mean, they, they can't help themselves. And McCarthy writes these 100,000 page or word, you know, stories on the Nash Review. But McCarthy basically says, that, you know, David Weiss may be a big, bigger criminal than than Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. I mean, what Weiss has done is allowed the statute of limitations. I mean, he's had this story since 2018. We've known about the gun charge since 2019. And it's 2023, and nobody's been indicted. Nobody's been charged of a crime. And they're making up, they're manufacturing crimes. We got, you know, um, a racist, politically motivated um, prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, that is charging a former president with RICO laws. And we've got a, an employee of the federal government now appointed special prosecutor that has not indicted, and we know why. The statute of limitations run out. And you can't charge someone with a crime. So the double standard is egregious. I mean, it, it's dangerous to, to, to allow one set of, um, of rules and, and standards for one side and another set of rules and standards for another but, but David's right. There, there are one-third of Republicans who find that acceptable because it diminishes the likelihood that Donald Trump wins. And that's a weird – but, but I, I've just kind of accepted that. I mean, I, there, there are some that you can't reach. I, I believe the best way as, a, as an America firster, the best way to, to, to grow the movement is obviously to articulate the sensibilities of America first. You know, and, and that's it. The bumper sticker is the policies that advance the, uh, you know, the life and, and, and lot of the American worker, the American family, the American way of life. I mean, I think that's, that's not racist. That's not extreme. That's not misogynist. That's not anything. I mean, I, I want to support an agenda and policies that advance the prosperity of the American worker, the American family, and the American way of life. That gets deeper than that. I, I'll totally accept that it's not that simple. But one-third of Republicans seem to be in disagreement of that. And for a myriad of reasons. I mean, if you're the military-industrial complex, it's probably anti-intervention as you perceive America first. And you can't be supportive of anti-intervention because intervention is how you butter your bread. It's how you make your money. But the, the strategy I've employed and the mindset I've tried to use is just 
try to expose what's happening in a normal, in other words, do you think Hunter Biden got paid, you know, um, a million, eight million dollars a year because he knows a lot about the energy business? No. I mean, do you think when Hunter Biden said that he has to split half his money with his dad, Pop, as he said, I mean, do you think he's telling the truth or not? He ain't probably telling the truth. So, so you're cool with that? I mean, you, you're okay with that? I mean, there's going to be two choices. One is Joe Biden. You just admitted that Biden runs a crime family. I mean, you didn't say that, but you admitted that Hunter Biden got paid by foreign nationals to do basically nothing because he could access influence to our federal government via his father, via his father. And you believe that when Hunter Biden texts that, you know, at least you don't have to give me half your money like I do, Pop. I mean, you've admitted that Biden's getting paid. I mean, he's on the, he's on the bribe. He's on the take. But, you, but you, you dislike Trump that much? Really? I don't think you can make Trump much more likable to people who have already decided he's not likable. But I, I, w- I think you're wasting your time. I think you've got to show contrast. What was gas when Trump was president? I mean, we're spending the average American family. The CEO of JCPenney's was on CNBC yesterday, or Bloomberg, one of the financial networks. And the, the CEO of CNBC, excuse me, the CEO of JCPenney uh, said that the average American family today spending about $700 a month doing the same thing they did two years ago. $700 a month. How many of you, I mean, how, how, $700 isn't a lot of money in your world? I mean, do you hate Trump that much? I mean, the, the bad tweets. Uh, the bombast, the narcissist, I mean, it bothers you that much. I mean, everybody has a price tag and life was cheaper. I'm not saying it was simpler. I'm not saying it was better. I mean, I'll let you decide what was better about your life then and now. But, but I know the bottom line of the average American family says the JCPenney CEO, uh, Mark Rosen is $700 a month more that you're dependent or that you're spending now for the exact same thing. I mean, when I drove through the drive-thru at the slot bucket in Georgetown with a 10 spot in my hand, Donald Trump was president. I got a little bit of change back. When I drove through the drive-thru Sunday with Joe Biden, the president, the lady was looking for another $4. I'm not saying that's all Biden's fault. It's the economy stupid. And, and when people call into the show and say everything's fine, what, where do they live? I mean, what rock are they living under? There's nothing to like about where we are. I mean, the average American family spending $700 a month, not a year, a month more than they were two years ago. The country is going to spend $2 trillion this year that we don't have. Forget a trillion. I mean, we're going to spend our annual deficit this fiscal year is going to be north of $2 trillion, and everything's okay? I mean, there's nothing to see here, and we're worried about broadband in rural America. I mean, I don't know if you saw this or not. I'll touch on this. The in the in the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan, there was money set aside for state governments to fund the um the building of the uh what the the, the Wi-Fi network in rural America. Remember the Rural Electrification Act, the Tennessee Valley Project. Out of that came a lot of um the electrification of rural America. But now we're, we're, we're deciding that everybody deserves and, and has a right to access the high-speed Internet. I mean, that's kind of what the government has decided. So if we're going to spend, you know, trillions we don't have, why not spend a trillion on Wi-Fi? I mean, why not now? Now, Elon Musk says, I can do it for a couple of hundred bucks a house. You know what the federal government's spending in some places around the country? $53,000 per hookup. 
53. I'm from rural America. I, there's nothing I want more than to empower people who live in rural America. There is no way I'd sign a contract that says we're going to provide this much Wi-Fi to this many people, this many people, and the taxpayers on the hook for $53,000 per connection. And Elon Musk basically says, why don't you just buy a couple hundred dollars worth of equipment? And, you know, Starlink can do um, what we're trying to do. But, but anyway, you know, it's just that's the government. That's who, but how can you believe everything's okay? It's inconceivable to me to believe everything's okay. I think Rev's got something hooked up here. Let's do this, Josh. Let's take a break. I know it's a bit early, but that's actually on time. Let's take a timely break for the first time in six years. That's rare. Yeah, let's come back. And I, and I want you to hear something Megan Kelly had to say about, you know, and it's, it's, all she plays is George Stephanopoulos. She does not play Ramaswamy responding. And I think the way she does it, is very unique and interesting. We may not even come back to me at the intro. When we get back, we may just cue this bit up on Rev's computer and let you hear um, a former Fox employee. And, and that's from Megan Kelly's podcast, right? Megan Kelly's Megan Kelly's podcast, and um, and she talks about the interaction, the interaction that George Stephanopoulos had with uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Take a break. Back in a few. Here is George Stephanopoulos over the weekend trying to wrestle with the fact that Republican voters don't care. They, he, they don't care, and Republican candidates don't care. Vivek Ramaswamy was his guest, and here's the SOT for. Your hand shot up pretty fast at the debate when you were asked whether you would vote for Donald Trump in the general election, even if he was a convicted felon. Can you just explain why you would vote for a convicted felon for president? I'm asking you why you made the promise. Why do you think it's okay for a convicted felon to be president? And you find his actions abhorrent around January 6th. You said he was wrong to take the classified information. You said you would not do that yourself. Yet you still say you would vote for him for president. That's what I don't get. Sir, that, that, that man is, is the front runner for the Republican nomination right now. He's a former president of the United States. He's leading you by 40 points. Yet you still say you would vote for him despite what you say about his behavior. That's the question I am asking. So your bottom line is that you would vote for a convicted felon because other people are voting for a convicted felon? <laughs> so, Emily, that's we cut that just to show he can't, he doesn't get it. Like, the, the whole left half of the country, it's like we had a plan. And why, like, why isn't, why aren't you responding to our plan? He's terrible. He's a criminal. It's amazing to me that exchange from George Stephanopoulos has to happen on air between him and Vivek Ramaswamy and not voters. Like, as you were pointing out, Mike, like millions of voters around the country who could give you a very <laughs> articulate explanation of why that is a much lower level priority for them. Why Donald Trump's, um, you know, wh whatever I think it's, he did. It's kind of interesting to hear. I mean, she didn't play Ramaswamy's answers. <laughs> she played like six. They weren't quite, well, they were questions. I mean, they, you know. Why won't you do what we're yeah, telling yeah. you to do? <laughs> I mean, we, we made this plan. We, we've turned this guy into a potential criminal, and you folks are still committed to voting for Why won't you do what we're telling you to do? I mean, our, our, our side is full of robots. Surely your side can't be that much different. I mean, when we, when we concoct a plan, when we execute the plan— <laughs> Trump's numbers are supposed to fall. Don't you know who runs this place? Sure. Who makes the rules? I mean, we, we make the rules. We call the shots. And, and you folks won't do what we just imagined you would. We turned your fearless hero into a criminal, a potential criminal. And, and you folks are still 
Why won't you do what we want you to do? That's why I think we're going to end up with Trump and the 14th Amendment and Article 3 and, you know, the the Federalist Society has two members of its 60,000 members. Uh, you know, I mean, Jeff called in and he's, he's, he's basically referred to that multiple times, the Federalist Society. You know, that's the, um, that's the gold standard of conservative legal minds. Now, but their own board with Trump should be disqualified. Well, they are two of them, two of 60,000. <laughs> I mean, there's 60,000 members. Oh. There are 10,000 institutions that are part of it. And, uh, you know, one good, a law professor from the University of Chicago uh, named William Baud, or maybe Baudet, B-A-U-D-E, and then Michael Paulson, University of St. Thomas law professor. Now, they, they wrote an article saying that Trump should be disqualified, and I guess they're speaking for the other 58,998 members of the Federalist Society. But I think Stephanopoulos' questioning, because it's, it, it's really antagonistic, I mean, it, it, it's, it, and Megyn Kelly's exactly right. Why won't you do what we're telling you to do? I mean, we put this plan in place. We've executed this plan flawlessly. We, we've got these, you know, these prosecutors who ran on putting Trump in prison. And now we're at the precipice of maybe putting Trump in prison. And you folks say you're still voting for the guy. I mean, why won't you do what we not strongly suggest, what we almost mandate of you um, to do? And here we are. He keeps referring to convicted felon, convicted felon. You know, no idea that some of these charges may be trumped up political persecution. And that's what that's what Ramaswamy basically says. I mean, they don't play Ramaswamy's answers. Yeah. And I love what Megyn Kelly's producer did on that or whomever, you know, construct some of the order of the show because they basically said, hey, you know, let's play the questions without the answers. <laughs> and, and you get the redundancy. And at the end he says, that's what we don't get. I mean, did you hear the, the last? Oh, yeah. By the way, yeah. that's what we just don't understand. I mean, we don't understand how you got, and you still say, I remember, vote remember for this guy. Yeah, remember the last question, and, and you still that's what we don't understand. You're still saying you'd vote for this guy. Yes. You know why? Because we had 700 in our pocket every month now, then that we don't now. We, we feel like the country was headed in a positive economic direction. We were producing more energy than we ever had. Our relationship with China uh, didn't seem to be from a point of inferiority, but rather one of superiority. Um, Putin hadn't invaded Ukraine. When Trump was the president, I mean, imagine that, you know, Putin invades Ukraine on whose watch. And now we're spending hundreds, you know, hundreds of billions, not quite hundreds of billions yet, but we're heading there. I think there'll be another $25 billion appropriation um, sooner than later. But, but I want to, and I'm not here to say it's in the box, but it's not, but there there are a lot of questions to be answered. There's a lot of campaigning left to be done, but, but I'm, I'm willing to sit behind this microphone this morning and say, Trump is as strong as he's ever been. In his political existence, he's never been. From the moment he rode down the golden escalator in 2015, eight years later, in September of 2023, he's never been this formidable. He is as strong a political candidate as he has ever been. And when you look at some of the um, unregistered voters, I saw an article, USA Today did a story. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting story. We'll get to that in the, in the next hour, but if, if those who are eligible to vote, but don't did, it's a landslide. I mean, it really and truly is. I mean, about 69% of America voted in 2020. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty staggering amount. I mean, that's the highest since 1900. I don't know what the population was in 1900, but 120 years have passed. And, and we've not had 69%. We know 
in some of the Democrat precincts. I've tried to do some Venn diagramming, overlaying of the, the historical average nationally and where these Zuckerberg monies were you know, spent and what the, uh, the, the increase in turnout. It's staggering how many more people voted. Uh, but, but as a nation, about 69% of our country, our voting eligible population voted. Um, there are about 40 million out there that didn't vote. Trump wins those by 20 percentage points. I mean, USA mm-hmm. Today Suffolk did a, a poll, and if these 40 million people and just 900 respondents, it's landlines. I question that methodology a little bit. A lot of cell phone responding, but of the 900 um, registered but unlikely voters, Trump wins about 40 20. I mean, he wins by about 20 percentage points over Biden. I mean, they, obviously, there's some, you know, I don't want to answer that question. And, you know, um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get into that on the other side. But, but, I, I just, it's obvious to me this morning that their strategy is going to shift from, you know, indicting to just destroy his momentum didn't work. Uh, indict him again didn't work. Indict him again didn't work. Indict him again didn't work. Now we, guys, we can't lose to this guy. I mean, if Stephanopoulos expresses the frustration, I mean, we've, we've, we've done everything we can to drive a wedge from impeachment to Russia collusion to now basically indicting unprecedented measures. We've never, ever had a former president indicted of a crime. We've got one indicted four times. And it sounds to me like they're planning to convict, according to George's plan, because he said convicted felon how many times? Well, I mean, the, the, the fix is in. I mean, do you really believe he's not going to get convicted in <laughs> Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, Georgia? Good luck with that one. Take a break. Back in a few. Thursday morning, 7.05, Wake Up Carolina features who? Reggie Armstrong. He's kind of a... um. He's a regular feature of a feeble attempt at Radio Brilliance. This Thursday's yeah. no different. Good morning, sir. Good How are morning, you? Prince of Pamplico, yeah. Rev of Radio. Uh, have we come up with a moniker yeah, for we'll, Josh we'll, yet? All, all kinds of – we'll come up with something. we got to come Josh. up with something. No, yeah, shot, no shot Josh is what <laughs> okay, we refer, there we go. No refer shot. to all him right, as very now. good. Okay, I need your help. Okay. When I go on the internet prepare for the radio show, very mm-hmm. often these bully ads find mm-hmm. their way or these pop-up ads, mm-hmm. and they want my information. Yep. If I were to win a $10 million lottery ticket online, mm-hmm. I'd probably never claim it because I don't trust anything that comes up there or not. The big word is cybersecurity. Yep. I know what the word implies, yep. but Reggie, to be honest with you, most of us don't really know nah. what it means. How exposed are we mm-hmm. and how can we make sure we've limited our exposure? Okay. Well, first disclosure, this is mostly opinion as as I am certainly not a cybersecurity expert, but... We, uh, you know, we're we're in, in the world of money. You know, the, the the challenge is is what are what are when someone is hacking into your system, what do they want most of the time? Money. The second thing is they want photos in case you've been doing something bad that they can blackmail you with again for money. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it's all about money, and a lot of money in banks, a lot of money in investment firms. So they're naturally targets as well. In fact, we're having a, 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 an in-person seminar at the Florence Country Club. We're having it two times, one in the morning, one in, in the evening on Tuesday, September, this upcoming Tuesday, September 12th. Uh, Mr. Joe Hill, who's a cybersecurity expert with my parent company, LPL Financial, is actually going to come talk to our clients about, hey, this is how we protect your, your assets, but also very importantly, here's how you can protect your other stuff. So it's not just, uh, you know, here's what we do, you know, pat us on the back. It's actual real handy stuff. So I'm going to touch a little bit on that. But I, I, one reason I mentioned that, even though it's for our clients, if there's a listener or two or three out there that says, like, wow, I could really use that, I'd like, 
you know, do I have to become a client, Reggie? No, give us give us a call. I'll, I'll give the number at the end if that's okay, Ken, sure, like sure. we usually do. And and give us a call and say you'd like an invitation to it, and, and we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. We still have room right now. We're getting a little full in the morning session. The evening session still got some room, but uh, we can do that. So anyways, but, you know, you, you hear about ransomware where they lock up your computer, for example. You know, they, they, how do they get in? You clicked on, on, on a malicious email. You got an email that said, you, you know, the, the IRS is holding back money for you if you don't click now. I get one all the time saying my Netflix password has been changed or my Amazon Prime, you know, I'm missing out this benefit or my package or UPS says you, you've got a package that's due. You know, and of course, it's not from any of those, but you click on those. They can infect your, your, your computer, your phone, whatever, but especially your computer. And next thing you know. They've locked your, your hard drive or wherever you keep your stuff if you don't keep it virtually. And they're saying, hey, unless we get 50000 or $250,000, you ain't getting your stuff back. Uh, ouch. I'll give you a, a, some real examples. Uh, so, for example, this is a, a lady I know. She had a pop-up on her computer, Ken, and it said she was infected with, you know, a virus. Call now. She calls now. She gives them control over her computer. She lost $34,000 out of her checking account. That's ouch. Okay. That's ouch. I mean, it's, um, and you think, well, I, I'm too smart. I would never fall for that. I've seen some brilliant people get caught up. I, uh, I don't know if you've heard about the grandchild or the, or the gift card scam that's, go, that's gone on. It's been around a number of years now, but they'll call, you know, you'll get, you'll, you'll get a call. Now, you don't, you don't have grandchildren yet, do you? I do not. Okay. So you get a call, you know, when that happens, uh, you get you get a call, you know, or Tammy will get a call and, and said, "Grandma," and 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 she'll go, "Johnny," and said, "Yeah, this is," and, and, and it'll be muffled. I got a cold, you know, Johnny's at school or whatever, uh, you know, hi, you know, high school or or college, or whatever. So, yeah, I got arrested, and and they're, they're telling me they're gonna they're gonna publish it and it's gonna cause me to lose my job or I'll get kicked, whatever, kicked out of college, or whatever. But the sheriff said if if we pay today, I don't, you know, it'll all it, it won't hit the headlines. And next thing you know, they're going to Target because that's what they want is gift cards from Target. I had a client actually that's happened to, and it was the checkout person at Target said, you didn't happen to get a call from your grandchild, did you? And, you know, the, because this they were getting a bunch of Target gift cards for high dollar amounts. So the point is, is and, and these are some very smart people. I've, I've had it happen to a couple. I had it happen to my mom. She didn't fall for it. My mom's doesn't trust anybody, so it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like my so, kind of woman. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, my mother. It was it was actually my son. I said, "Your son just got you know, hey, this is this is Creighton, and I just and I just got an accident in Baltimore." Well, she she talked to him like the night before, and he's, he lives in Mount Holly. He wasn't there, you know. But it's but anyways, so it's those things happen. So there's a number of things we have to be careful of, and I, we really don't have the time today to go over that. But give you an example on one thing. If be careful of easy passwords, you know you can have even if you have an eight-digit password with numbers and and uh, let's say numbers and letters, you know, caps and small caps. If you've got an eight-digit password, including symbols, using brute force, hackers can get through to that in about uh, let's see, thirty-nine minutes. Wow. But if you have a 12-digit password, about 3,000 years. In other words, length actually, you know, they keep telling you, you got to change, you got to do all. Actually, length 
is you need some complexity, but length is the, what makes it really hard. Also, you got to be careful of easy, you know, just dictionary words because they're kind of easy to guess. You know, if, you know, it's it's kind of like Jeopardy. It's not that hard for a computer to figure out that you were spelling Gamecocks. All right, I mean, it's just not that hard. Uh, even if you put the, the 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 O to a zero, it's not that hard for those machines to figure. Especially with AI now, it's even getting easier. So, point is, is there's a lot to go through with this. You know, you, you've got to have, you know, it's called two-factor authentication on things. At LPL Financial, I'll close on this, we take, you know, the, the firm takes it so seriously is not only do they, are we, are they helping out our clients by coming and doing a seminar, um, and not only do they have a very high level of cybersecurity on, on all their platforms, but for our clients, if, if, a, if a bad actor gains access to a client's account, um, you know, through, you know, LPL just, they, they you know, the, the, the enemy is always trying to probe, right? So if they get through, LPL is a 100% money back guarantee. Say, we'll make you whole. No ifs, ands, or buts. We, that's how they, they stand behind that cybersecurity. So, so if anybody wants to learn a little bit more, they can, they can, uh, you know, they can talk, they can come to that seminar if they wish. But that's not all you do. You still provide daily services, uh, weekly a, service, monthly, a, yearly. Absolutely. So, I, I don't teach cybersecurity. I sure. know a little bit more. Maybe then, uh, well, I know enough to be dangerous, but I know I know what works and what not to do. And but in terms of the big picture of financial affairs, whether it's what's going on in the market this week, or you know, uh, or estate plan like we talked about last week, or taxes that, that our CPA friends talk about, just eight four three two nine two nine 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 seven or armstrongwealth.com. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it again. This Thursday's edition of the Armstrong Minute is brought to you by the Armstrong Wealth Management Group at 1807 West Devon Street in Florence. Opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. 843-661-0937. Do want to uh, announce that I think, um, Josh, help me here. So Drew McKissick called this morning or emailed you yesterday and said he's not available, but we do have a podcast out. I think we produced and published one yesterday and it's out and about in, um, wherever, whatever ether that goes in, um, and <laughs> wherever you listen to podcasts, yeah, wherever you listen or to podcasts, we had about an hour conversation with Drew McKissick yesterday. Oh, excuse me. Uh, we did it toward the end of last week, but it produced or published yesterday. It's out there in the uh, in the internet space, wherever you find uh, your podcast. Patrick McLaughlin's coming at 8.30 to try to explain some of the jury tampering story of the Murdoch case, back to the Murdoch case. And um, and then at 9.05, Attorney General Alan Wilson will be um, with us uh, via a telephone call. So that's at 9.05. And then Decker, our resident elitist insider, I'm kidding, <laughs> our resident insider will be with us at about 725-ish. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Right now with us is Breeze. Good morning. Hey, guys. I will get to the back to the original point in a second, but I was thinking last night, and I said, you know, I don't know of any member of the uh, – any member of Congress sitting in our house in Washington, D.C., died from COVID. Obviously, the president did. I don't know of any very high up government officials and bureaucrats dying of COVID. And I didn't know of any uh, very powerful CEOs of these big uh, international globalist countries dying of COVID. But, kid, you and I noticed when COVID first started, 
we've said right off the bat that this thing is, is designed to take a, to, to take away the Trump presidency. You and I saw that, and a lot of us saw that. And then, but nothing was done about it. We saw the BLM terrorists when they were riding in the street with Antifa terrorists. We knew that was to destroy Trump's presidency. Now, you and I knew that, and I've said this before, but didn't every other powerful Republican politician and bureaucrat and Supreme Court judge, federal judge, governor, and everyone else, if you and I saw it, didn't everybody else see it? Now, I realize some of these riots were happening in, uh, in these uh, communist states, but what were the Republicans doing? Now, we see what's happened here to Trump. And I heard one of your callers was talking about earlier this morning before clients say that uh, a lot of Republicans are against Trump. Well, the Republicans that are against Trump, that maybe be the housewife that's against Trump, well, that's okay. But the people that really you need to be concerned about that are against Trump are the ones that tell you they're for him. The Lisa Grahams, the Ted Cruz's, those kind of guys. But here's the question. All of these Republicans right now know ahead of time that they're going to use the 14th Amendment to keep Trump off the ballot. And my question is, what are they going to do to stop it? My answer is probably nothing. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. To those points, the only the only proactive politician I've seen, and I've not seen anybody speak to the 14th Amendment and, you know, the um, the, the attempt to exclude Trump from being allowed to be on some of these state ballots. But I did see yesterday where J.D. Vance introduced federal legislation that against mask mandates. I'll try to get some of the particulars and specifics about it, but we kind of agreed on the show, I think we have, that J.D. Vance is one of the forward thinkers of the America First movement, and he's introducing a bill that basically makes it illegal to force mask mandates because of the, uh, shall I be complimentary? Let me be a, a bit um, respectful inconsistency of the science. I mean, the, the, the non-random testing and the randomized testing, the inconsistency of um, the science. But I'm telling you guys, once you make a bed, you got to lay in it. And these folks who said the mask works, the mask mandates are necessary. I mean, they, they can't take that back. I mean, they, they've declared their path. Uh, did they get paid to declare that path? What is their motivations? I, you know, I don't have any idea. But I did see yesterday or the day before where J.D. Vance is introducing legislation that would prohibit local and state governments from enforcing um, mass mandates. It's almost like J.D. Vance is a man of his word. I mean, Vance says, what do we do when we get the levers of power? I mean, what do we do when we are in control of government? I know we want less government, but but is less government a federal edict saying local governments can't, that local and state governments can't issue mass ordinances? That's more government. But it's, you know, government in the name of or in the ilk of America first. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Sam in Darlington. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, guys. Uh, <clears throat> you started off early this morning, Ken, talking about uh, Trump and your friend that uh, or your acquaintance that said he couldn't quite support Trump. I guess I'm sort of like that, I'm, but I'm not a typical voter. I understand that. I've always been an oddball. But... When Trump ran in 2016, he said some things that just thrilled me. Uh, he, he said things about how the military, industrial, and empire building folks up there in Washington are, are fooling the, us into unnecessary military confrontations. And I thought, hallelujah, somebody's saying that. But yet, he started uh, 
surrounding himself with uh, retired generals that were known to be hawkish. Um, and he, um, you know, he announced ahead of time, you know, these are the people I'm going to have in my cabinet. And uh, one of the things I, I thought Obama did the best thing in, that he ever did was when he uh, worked out this uh, Iran nuclear agreement. Well, Trump actually ran against that. He didn't even he didn't even talk to what I thought was a good game there. He ran against that, and uh, sure enough, as soon as he got elected, he he killed that. And um, one of the other few things uh, Obama did that was good, uh, he um, he slow walked the military industrial complex on pouring uh, weapons and trainers and all that into Ukraine. You know, from because uh, it Ukraine, we flipped the Ukraine government to to anti-Russian um, on his watch. But and then then all these these hawks were saying, okay, let's just let's just turn Ukraine into a into a, a armed camp. You know, as be threatening to Russia, and he he held back. But uh, Trump got in. He opened the floodgates and let it roll. And um, <clears throat> he was setting that was setting up the, the scenario for for Russia to invade, really. So uh, you, even though that didn't happen on his watch, and then um, late in his uh, presidency, Trump um, pardoned a guy that apparently—I mean, I hadn't researched it—apparently was rightly, you know, convicted by the military of of uh, unnecessary killing of unarmed civilians in Afghanistan, I guess it was. So Trump pardons him. You know, it's just, I just don't know what the heck I can do about that. (laughs) (laughs) I understand it, Sam. I certainly understand that. When Trump hired John Bolton, I remember one of these, you ready? What? I mean, there's a certain way. I mean, what is one thing? What? I mean, that's another thing. So when Trump, when when I read that Trump had hired John Bolton, it was not what? It was what? Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Thursday morning, Great Television Senior National Editor, White House Correspondent John Decker is with us. John, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're having a great week so far. We are, John, and and it's kind of an interesting week. Uh, we've talked a little bit about the Biden Trump matchup. Is it inevitable? Is it not inevitable? Um, they both have some happy warriors on their side, but they both bring a lot of baggage um, to the table. One number I pay close attention to is the president's approval rating and the right track, wrong track number. And in a CNN poll, the current president has some problems there, John. He does. He's at 39%. Uh, that is down from the last time that CNN released its uh, latest poll. Not a good number. In fact, uh, that number... At this point in the presidency, actually below where Donald Trump was at this stage in his presidency, Trump was at 40 percent. It's a little bit above where Jimmy Carter was at this stage in his presidency. Things can happen. I mean, if you look at this polling, uh, you look at the president uh, who was in second place in terms of where they stood at this stage in their presidency. And that was George Herbert Walker Bush, who, of course, lost his run for reelection. That's why I say a lot can happen in the time between now and November of next year. But still, not a good place to be. And the only uh, candidate who is faring the best against 
uh, Joe Biden. Among those Republicans hoping to be the nominee is Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley is at 49 percent in a head-to-head matchup against Joe Biden, who's at 46 percent. So uh, she's got some work to do if she's going to make it a one-on-one race against Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. John, we've talked a lot about it. You've been gracious enough to allow us to, to, to kind of ask you these questions. But we've talked a lot about the disconnect inside the Beltway, outside um, the Beltway. I, I feel it's my job to watch some of the Sunday morning shows. And Stephanopoulos had an interesting back and forth with Vivek Ramaswamy. And it, it was basically saying this guy's been indicted four times. This guy's under, you know, uh, he's going on trial. This guy's got, and and yet you're still saying you would vote for him if he's the nominee. And to me, it's not Stephanopoulos and Ramaswamy. It's the disconnect inside the Beltway, outside um, the Beltway. Is there any, I don't want to say sympathy, that's unfair. Is there any interest at all inside the Beltway of understanding why the Trump phenomenon remains? And and despite the indictments, there's still a high degree of support amongst not just Republican primary voters, but the electorate at large. Well, I, I don't know about the uh, the second part of your question when you say the electorate at large. You know, in the sense that uh, Trump is not doing well when it when you when you uh, look at polling as it relates to independent voters, and that's the key to any election. That's the key to what uh, the 2024 election will be about. But among Republican voters, uh, he's the clear favorite, the clear front runner. Uh, you know. I understand it. Uh, I, I, I understand it quite well, why he's the favorite among Republicans, because uh, you, you factor out uh, some of the things that people don't like about Donald Trump. Uh, and that is, you know, what, what I hear, you know, the tweets, uh, the disparaging, disparaging things that he may say about others. You factor all of that out and you look at his record. Uh, it's a record that Republicans think is a good record and they'd like to see him back in office uh, uh, moving forward with uh, those those same types of policies for another four years, so I get it. I understand it completely, and I also understand why those voters uh, dismiss some of the bad sides of Donald Trump when you know they consider who their choices are for 2024. We talked about the baggage. I mean, it's hard to believe that a president or a presidential candidate uh, will win the nomination of one of the major political parties and and simultaneously be on co- in court, you know, on trial. What is the latest on the, the kind of the timeline? What, what do we know about the timeline of the trials that will begin sooner than later? Well, I think that the, the one date that I think will happen um, on schedule is the trial uh, that the special counsel is uh, prosecuting right here in Washington, D.C., and that is set for March the 4th of next year. I, I don't know about the other ones. I think they may slide. Um, you know, and uh, we still don't have a firm date as to when the trial against Donald Trump in Georgia will take place. There will be other trials that will take place. Uh, in fact, one uh, involving uh, Sidney Powell and another former uh, Trump outside lawyer, uh, Ken Chesbrough, will likely start uh, just a few weeks from now, October the 23rd. But as far as Donald Trump is concerned, uh, March the 4th is the date that I've circled on my calendar. I think that, and that's the day right before Super Tuesday. I think that will happen on time uh, just because this judge uh, is adamant that she doesn't want to let that date slide. Speaking of trials and indictments and impending legal issues, Hunter Biden, we, we found out yesterday or the day before that David Wise, special counsel, intends to indict Hunter Biden on gun charges sometime this month 
how does I mean that's Hunter Biden's problem, but but the the Ways and Means and the Oversight Committee in the House still believe there's a connection to be made there between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. What sort of implications do you imagine that has on the Democrat side of this um, this race for the presidency? It has major implications. Uh, this is not good for, well, obviously, Hunter Biden. Uh, I think he'll likely be indicted in the state of California, uh, given that is where uh, the alleged crime occurred uh, as it relates to uh, that uh, handgun purchase violation. Uh, but it's not good for Joe Biden either. It's not good to have your son uh, involved in the criminal justice system. Uh, and that is exactly what we're talking about here. And then you alluded, of course, to uh, the, the overall investigation that's being conducted by James Comer uh, and the House Oversight Committee uh, into alleged connections between Hunter's business dealings and Joe Biden, when Joe Biden was both uh, the vice president of the United States and also a private citizen. So their investigation continues. They have subpoena power. Uh, and I think that Mr. Comer will use that subpoena power uh, to get others to testify, including ultimately, uh, I would not be surprised to see Biden family members subpoenaed as it relates to their investigation. Last question, John, and John Decker's with us. John is the senior national editor, White House correspondent for Great Television. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken um, visited Ukraine, I think pledged, what, another billion dollars in aid to the Ukrainian government. Um, what are we missing on that visit? Was it a surprise visit? Was it planned or scheduled? Yeah, surprise visit, the fourth visit by Blinken to Ukraine, uh, that billion-dollar pledge, mostly actually non-military aid, but there was a significant military component to it. Uh, and uh, reiterating that the uh, U.S. Uh, stands firmly behind uh, Ukraine and their fight against Russia's aggression and its invasion of Ukraine's uh, sovereign territory. So uh, there's a lot of work that uh, this administration, the Biden administration, needs to do in terms of uh, passing what's known as a supplemental additional aid for Ukraine. We've seen this happen uh, a number of times over the course of the past year and a half plus since the invasion began on February the 24th of last year. Strong bipartisan support in both the House and the Senate. Uh, but look, you know, we're coming up on an election year just makes it that much more difficult to move forward with that type of a large aid for Ukraine in that kind of environment. John, very informative. Appreciate your time. Uh, we hope to join back together next Thursday. Thank you a lot. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Ken. Have a great weekend. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Um, there's, there's still this pervasive narrative inside the Beltway that Trump is the obvious choice of the Republicans, but he's going to have issues in a general. I just don't buy that, guys. And it's not a hunch. It's not an instinct. I mean, I'm normally far less analytical, far more hunchy and instinctive than I am, you know, about the data and the analytics. But you look at the data. I mean, it's pretty clear to me that Trump gives the Republicans the best chance to win in November. I, you talk about Nikki Haley. You talk about Ron DeSantis. But, you know, what? I didn't want to argue with John, but, you know, it's because it's, he's a guest, and I'm not here to argue with the guest. I mean, I think we point out certain inconsistencies or our uh, inconsistency being fair differing opinions about what truth on the ground may or may not be but if i were going to be argumentative if john were a kind of a point counterpoint to my or our radio show i would have said when he says yeah he's he's highly popular in the republican primary there's no doubt about it there's never been a more dominant figure in a primary than donald trump is today he's polling like an incumbent because he is a former president i mean he's not the incumbent president 
but he is a former president polling like an incumbent. But when you look at the three most recent polls, but it's not a, an internal poll. It's not a poll paid for by the Trump campaign. You got a morning consult poll that has Biden at 43, Trump at 42. That's a dead heat. You've got a Harris poll, Biden 45, Trump 44. That's a dead heat. You've got an economist YouGov poll, Trump 44, Biden 43. That's a dead heat. And if Donald Trump is in a dead heat nationally, he wins the presidency. Now, now once again, I don't have any idea what is to come. I love these that say, well, I mean, it's obvious what's going to happen. No, it's obvious what, it's not obvious what's going to happen. Nobody knows what the future holds. I don't have any idea what sort of implications the trials could have on Trump's campaign uh, for president. I don't. I mean, I, you know, I, I got some suspicions that it hardens his support. Uh, some of the independents want to see this thing play itself out. The Democrats are dead set against any any return of Donald Trump. I mean, we know that to be true. So there's not a lot of uh, of unknowns there. I mean, there, there's a lot of uncertainty about the optic and the uh, you know the the procedures that are to come. But I, I just don't see it changing a lot of minds. I mean, I, I just don't see that. The Democrats are opposed to Trump. The Republicans are largely in support of Trump. The independents, and I think the one thing you've got to do, Reb is recategorize some of these never-Trump Republicans as independents. I mean, you got to treat these never-Trump. Uh, you said you had an interesting uh, one-off. I had an interesting one-off. I, I shared the story again. I was in the gym, at the gym yesterday in the locker room, and an attorney friend of mine wanted to talk. I mean, you know how you just know when somebody wants to you know, kind of talk about something, and it eventually led to the election. And he said in 16 he voted for Trump. In 20, he didn't. He regrets not voting for Trump because of by not being a centrist uniter. I mean, he fell for that centrist uniter, you know, Uncle Joe, you know, lunch pail Joe, and he'll make things normal again. And and he said, but, but you know, Trump's personality just wouldn't let him get there, couldn't get to, to, to Trump. And he said, these indictments and the mistreatment have kind of forced me back on the on the team, and his words were, um, and he's a lawyer. I mean, he's an attorney. He's, he's a guy who knows some, some kind of the legal ins and outs. And he says, when law and government are used to hide and protect the corruption of one side, manufacture and severely punish the other side, there there's some realization that happens. And, and you said you had a similar situation mm-hmm. yesterday with a female. Um, and these aren't best friends of mine. And, and these aren't people I normally talk politics with. But this particular person yesterday, I could tell, wanted to initiate and eventually involve themselves in a conversation about Donald Trump. And they wanted me to know. I mean, it's, it didn't matter to me. I mean, I don't care who they vote for. But they wanted me to know that they were for Trump, that they were Rubio to begin with. I mean, in the 2016 primary, they were Rubio. And if you asked me, hey, who do you think this guy supported in the 16 primary? I would have said Rubio. I mean, I know him that well. Um, but Trump wins the nomination. He voted for the Republican over the Democrat because he felt Obama had just kind of, um, you know, carried the Democrat Party too far to the left. Um, Trump gets elected in 20. He's just tired of the drama. A little bit Trump fatigue syndrome. We've talked a little bit about that. Um, he votes for Biden because he's convinced that Biden will be, you know, a, a bit harmless kind of the uniner, the centrist, the, the Northeast liberal. And he regrets that. And he said, you know, all these indictments and, and all this two one-sidedness of, you know, 
Guys, Hunter Biden was investigated. The investigation began in September of 2018. Hunter Biden is yet to be indicted. I mean, we're in September of 2023. I'm sorry, July of 2018. I mean, they, they began investigating Hunter Biden in July of 2018. It's September of 2023, and Hunter Biden is yet to be indicted. But Donald Trump has been indicted four times on a variety of charges, including RICO in the, in the, in the city of Atlanta by a racist, politically motivated prosecutor. And I just think a lot of people are coming to that resolution. I mean, they're like, wow, dude. I mean, you know, as much as I don't like Trump, I'm more afraid of a, a government and a judicial system that will manufacture and severely punish charges on one side and be a part of covering up and running interference to prevent exposure of corruption on the other side. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. It's called lawfare, Ken, and that's what they're using. The leader of the Proud Boys, they convicted yesterday or day before and sentenced him to 22 years. But they they didn't convict him for what he did because he wasn't even there. They convicted him for his speech. So they're criminalizing speech now. And... That's what concerns me about what's going on with Trump. You know, that that case with that woman that they opened up the the statute of limitations on says Trump raped her in 97. Well, the jury didn't find that he raped her, but they said, yeah, something happened. So they, they charged him like $5 million. He had to pay her or whatever, and Trump said, I don't know the woman. I've never been around the woman knowingly. I mean, there was a picture of him at a party, but Trump probably has thousands of people in the party take a picture with him. And he says, I don't know the woman, so she sues him again for defamation. And yesterday, I don't know if you know it or not, but the judge made the determination that Trump was guilty. And now they're going to have the trial to figure out how much he's more he's going to have to pay the woman. So that, that, this is what's starting to concern me is these, the, the people that rioted in New York and all these places through the firebombs and the lawyers that, that could have killed cops, they, they just let them off with a year and they give a guy that's running his mouth and, Maryland, 22 years, that concerns me a little bit. But that goes right along with the Democrat playbook. They suggest, they shove, and then they shoot. So they're in the shoving part right now. But I wish Republicans would stand up and tell me what they stand for. I mean, my principles haven't changed since the 60s. I can tell you my principles in less than 15 seconds. It's God, family, country, freedom, liberty, rule of law, the Constitution, self-determination, low taxes, low regulations, and that keeps you a small government. And that's, you can take what I stand for from that. And everything I do, I go based on those principles. 
And if you take those in order, each one builds off of the other one because if you don't have one, you can't have the other. So I, I wish the, the Republicans better stand up because we're in trouble if they don't stop this spending. That That's going to be our downfall. You were talking earlier about $2 trillion in peacetime. That's unprecedented. And all this drilling that, that Biden has stopped. See, people don't understand. We get royalties off of federal land that go to the Treasury. And they stop that. So that's why the deficits are piling up. Joe, we got to take a break. We're getting way behind here. Appreciate the call. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Barry in Chiraw. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, it must be going around. Dave, it must be going around. I had two guys yesterday come up to me, uh, diehard Democrats, and said, uh, "We're voting for your guy next time around." My pocketbook's hurting, and uh, everything you told us that would happen is happening. So we we're gonna take a chance and we're gonna vote for Trump. Wow. So that these are listen, the whole 2020 campaign, I was in their office every day trying to tell them, and they were like, nah, nah, we got to get away from this. And I was, and they came up to me. Mary, did you understand that? When, I mean, it, when someone would say that to me, I understood, I disagreed with it, but I understood the fatigue. I understood those people who said, man, I just want something normal. I mean, I'm, I'm, this is wearing me out. Did you understand when they said that? Well, coming from these guys, they just like, they're just easygoing guys, so I understood it. Me, I like chaos, and I like I like stirring it. But you're invested in it. I mean, you're, yeah, you're yeah, intense absolutely. about it. They they're, probably are every day. Correct. They're everyday guys. They're Seinfeld watchers. Yeah, they're Seinfeld watchers. So when they came up to me yesterday, I have they weren't together, and they came up and told me it was like, wow, it is hitting home now. So I mean, that was the first time that somebody's actually from the other side has actually come up and said that to me. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't believe anything John said. I, I appreciate him, but I, I, I don't believe that stuff. So y'all have a good day. Thank you, Barry. Appreciate it. I mean, the numbers are indisputable. Uh, that, let me back up. The, the, all polling is disputable. It, it is what it is. I mean, it's the best we can do. I mean, as bad as polling may be, it's the best we've got, right? I mean, it, yeah. everybody had a rough go of it in 16. Everybody tried better in 20. Um, I mean, I think in 16, Kahaley, who's a frequent uh, you know, guest on this show, built a mousetrap to found the Trump voter. We've talked a little bit about how they built that mousetrap. I don't know if it's as good as it was. I don't know if there's the, um, you know, the reluctant Trump voter or not. I don't have any idea, but, but all I know is the three most recent polls that have not been paid for by campaigns is the economist, YouGov poll, the morning consult poll and the Harris poll. They all have Trump running significantly ahead of DeSantis against Biden and basically in a dead heat. And if Trump's in a dead heat nationally, he wins the presidency. I mean, I'll assure you with that. I, you know, I'll put my job on the line. I mean, if we go, if, if polls are trustworthy, and to some degree they are, to some degree they aren't. It's a little bit like college football recruiting. I mean, the five-star. I mean, he worked out, but he didn't, right? I mean, Clemson had two five-star quarterbacks that were phenomenal. They've got a five-star quarterback now that struggles a bit. So it's not an exact science. It'll never be an exact science. But, but it's the best we can do. And right now, when you look at these three most recent polls, they have Biden running about five points ahead of DeSantis. They have Trump and Biden in a dead heat. And if Donald Trump's in a dead heat, he wins 
some of these swing states and he gets reelected president. And I think it goes back to Stephanopoulos' frustration. We've got a plan and the plan has been executed, but it's not working. I mean, we impeached the guy. We, we, we disparaged the guy. We impugned his, I mean, we did everything you could imagine when he got elected. We didn't expect that, but we started Russia collusion and then the eventual impeachments and then the indictments and then the dates of trials and all this negative coverage. And you guys still say you're voting for him. Help us understand that. Well, I mean, we dis as much as some people dislike Trump, they dislike the elites and ruling class even more. Take a break. Back in a few. You know, the Seinfeld watcher is different than the majority of us. Uh, the majority of us are, we, we would probably know close to the number we spent in Ukraine. We would probably know um, close to the number that, you know, inflation is affected or impacted. The Seinfeld watcher just knows we're involved in something and sending money. And, uh, you know, it costs more to do whatever it costs to do than, than it did a couple of years ago. And I really believe that it's going to be worse next year than it is this year. I mean, I've read a lot of things uh, financially related about the economy and where it is and where we're headed. I mean, people like Jamie Dimon and some other business executives believe that, you know, this flu, this, uh, ah, this, this liquidity has worked its way through the economy and people are now putting, you know, normal living expenses on credit cards. We've got about 1.3 trillion in credit card debt. Um, commercial real estate, uh, a lot of people, well, I'll, I'll give an example. And the reason I know this, I, I'm somewhat a, um, I also have a player in there. Uh, we, we have a little partnership and we invest in commercial property. There's about $900 billion in commercial real estate that will be refinanced by the end of the year. The average refinancing cost is about two and a quarter points higher than it was uh, when, when they bought the property. That's going to lead to a lot of financial uncertainty. And, and I, I just, when you look on the horizon, um, I don't see anything that encourages me that it's going to be better. Now, I would never say this, and I mean this sincerely. I am not pulling against America. I'm not. I mean, I don't want Biden to get reelected, but I'm not pulling against America because when we pull against America, we're pulling against ourselves. So, so, so under no circumstance am I saying, man, I hope the commercial property market blows up and I hope. You know, instead of $700 more a month to live your life, it costs, you know, $900 more. I hope credit card debt goes to $1.8 trillion instead of one point. That way, Trump it has a better chance of getting elected. I, I'm just not going to put the presidency over the, the plot of the American people. I mean, I'm not heroic. I'm not, you know, I'm not altruistic any more than, than the next person, but I'm never going to pull against America. But, but it looks to me like we backed ourselves in a corner. And, and you know, um, I mean, the debt is the debt is the debt. And inflation and this inflation is inflation. Uh, I don't see anything we're doing to address the debt. I don't see anything we're doing to address inflation. Um, the Fed, I think, underestimated how much effect or how sticky inflation would be. I mean, I don't know how you missed this because we didn't, right? I mean, when Jerome Powell and uh, what's the little lady looks like a gremlin? Um, uh, Yellen. Yeah, Janet Yellen. When when Yellen. When, <laughs> gremlin. Well, she does kind of. <laughs> Remember the movie The Gremlins? Oh, yeah. She looks a little bit like one of the uh, one of the Gremlins. Um, and I knew who you were talking about. <laughs> that's the sadder part I of know. it. When I said the lady that looks like a Gremlin, and you said Janet Yellen, yeah, that's that's her. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, that, they were the ones that said, you know, this is transitory. Uh, nothing to see here. 
And I feel like saying, you know, you run the Fed and your Treasury Secretary, but we just pumped six trillion dollars into an economy. I mean, we we just increased money supply by forty percent. In other words, the money in the economy today didn't exist before COVID. And and we're beginning to quantitative tighten. And I don't want to get in the weeds about quantitative easing and and quantitative tightening. We're being creative with the Fed's balance sheet. Um we're backstopping. We don't know. I mean, I don't want to go down. I, that would I'd get confused and confuse you because of it. But some of the Fed's balance sheet backstop is not done by the big banks. Some of these participatory banks and the Fed's lending window and you know the um, the the Fed rate. The, the taxpayer still on the hook for a lot of these shenanigans that most of us don't understand, myself included. But when I look on the horizon. And maybe that's why you try to get Trump off the ballot. I mean, that's maybe why we're hearing a lot more conversation about the 14th Amendment. And, you know, the 14th Amendment, I think it's Article 3, Article 3 or 5. I think it's Article 3. I mean, it's basically when the when the Union was reestablished after the end of the Civil War, they didn't want Confederates running for office. I mean, they didn't want members of the Confederacy because they had rebelled. I mean, they had insurrected against the United States of America. And that was to exclude any of these people um, who conspired to rebel or insurrect against our federal government. I mean, that's a reach and a stretch, and it's more reachy and stretchy because Trump hadn't been in charge. I mean, he's still not been charged with insurrection. Uh, he's been charged with a lot of different things. Uh, you know, um, overt act one, two, three, four, they end a conspiracy and, you know, conspiring against the, I mean, there are a lot of creative language. It's lawfare. I mean, it's legally language is what uh, Joe said. He's right. I mean, it's it's a lot of legal theory and lawfare that they're trying to indict, or excuse me, they're trying to convict the former president of, but it's not, I mean, it's Stephanopoulos said it cl- more clearly than I. You know, what's going on here? I mean, we're, we're executing our plan to perfection. I mean, we've got these uh, politically motivated prosecutors charging a former president with crime after crime after crime after crime. And when you look at the... Um, and when you look at the YouGov poll, when you look at the Morning Consult poll, the Harris poll, he's in a dead heat. I mean, that can't be the case. The plan is working because we've indicted. We think we can convict in some way, shape, or form. And this guy's polling numbers are probably as strong as they've ever been. What's going on here? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think the main thing going on here is people to become real aware of what's happening. I think even the Seinfeld watcher to some degree are becoming real aware that there's this this double standard, that there's a an attempt by our government to run interference for, to hide the the prosecution of corruption in in one of our you know political figures world, and I'm talking about Hunter and Joe Biden and the criminal enterprise that they manage uh, the affairs of, and I still go back to the fundamental question. I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm I say this a lot, but I think these are important realities. When we talk climate change, there's only one question to begin with. What is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? I mean, to me, if we can establish that that's 78.6 or 89.9 or 91.4 or 39.7, whatever that number is, I mean, if we can establish what God intended, and and I, I believe in a creator. Some don't. Some believe in the Big Bang. I get that. Um, but But let's establish... In the in the four billion years the Earth has been here, what is what was it intended to be? What was the what was the AC intended to be set on? 
you know, what is the thermostat on the wall? Is it is it 72.7, 79.6, 84.1? Once we establish what the, you know, the optimal temperature is, then let's get to work and figure out, are we warming the planet disproportionately because of our emitting of carbon? Or, and, and what can we do to address it? Well, we can't establish that. So I don't want to hear much after that. Uh, people who are so sure of themselves. Well, the same thing with the Biden crime family. How did Joe Biden get wealthy? There's no doubt he's a wealthy man. I mean, Trump's got a lot of successes and failures. I mean, it's pretty easy to see. He misstates his wealth. Probably does. He misleads about his revenue. Probably does. He's not as rich as he says it. Probably not. But there's a, there's a legitimate business. I mean, we know that he owes money at the bank for the purchase of golf courses and condominium complexes and hotels. I mean, we know he's in the hospitality real estate business. Did, did, has he won some in law? Yeah, I mean, there are bank records that show that. I mean, there are loans at banks. There's repayments. There's bankruptcies. There's there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, I mean, it cuts both ways. Trump is a mixed bag when it comes to business. But we can establish he's a business guy, right? I mean, that, that there's a business he ran that, that he won and lost. How did Joe Biden get rich? And nobody can answer that question. Because if you answer that question, then you get to Hunter Biden. And you get to a criminal enterprise. And you get to the big guy and 10% and uh, Vinnie Barbarino, known as Tony Bobolinsky. I mean, we, we, we start going down that road. And I, I just believe, and, and I'm not saying we are at that moment. I mean, I don't know when that moment is. I don't know if there is that moment. But I think we are. Um, we are at a point in this presidential race that people are beginning to sense there is a double standard. I mean, that there is, you know, that there is a point in time when law and government are used to hide and protect the corruption of one side to embellish and overcharge the imperfections of the other. I'm thinking that moment may be when the Democrats decide that Joe Biden can't beat eventually Donald Trump. And the, the Democrats say, oh, we have a better chance with Gavin Newsom, for example. But, but they've got to get there. you got to leap for right. Kamala Harris to do that. What's the most loyal constituency the Democrats have? African-American females. Who's the vice president? An African-American female. Who is less popular than Donald Trump and Joe Biden? <laughs> that African-American female. So they've got a conundrum on their hands. And, and it goes back to Stephanopoulos' frustration, Rev. Why is this plan not working? I mean, we've executed the plan. And, and I, I do believe that the Justice Department coordinated would take a, uh, take a load off Fannie in Atlanta, Georgia. But, 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 and I go back to this. I think the Seinfeld watcher, I mean, they're not watching Seinfeld 24-7. At some moment in their lives, they check in with what's going on. And I think they check in and say, so Donald Trump is being charged with RICO laws in a city that he lost 85 to 15%. Something doesn't smell right there. And I think people don't buy into the, I mean, Americans will tolerate a lot of things. They normally don't tolerate double standards. If a politician gets in trouble and comes clean, America loves a comeback story. But but the one thing Americans don't normally forgive you for is if you were allowed for one set of rules and standards to apply that they know would never apply to them in a million years. I mean, they, they, I'll tell you, they, they'll forgive um, sexual relations with other women. I mean, they will. We've proven that over time. Mark Sanford got elected Congress. I mean, we know the shenanigans that went along, uh, not on the Appalachian Trail, 
But what did Americans do? They forgave. You know why? Because a lot of Americans can see themselves doing that. But when the American people believe that you have lived an entitled existence and the rules that apply to them in their daily lives don't apply to the other, and I think Hunter and Joe Biden are the classic example of, you know, rules for thee, not for for me. And I think despite Trump's wealth, his notoriety, his um, exclusive lifestyle, they, they can relate to, okay, they're indicting that guy. I mean, they're, they're going after that guy. I mean, they're, they're doing everything in their power to put that guy in jail. When you look at African-American males, I mean, this is indisputable now. Trump is going to do better with African-American males than any Republican ever has, ever, by a large margin. Why? I mean, I'm not an African-American male, so I don't know. But African-American males have long felt that they're targeted. Now, are they? Or I don't, I don't know. Perception reality at times. So, so African-American males see Trump as a guy, wow, I mean, they're going after him. I'm not sure he's done, you know, you got Hunter and Joe Biden over here. They began the investigation in July of 18. Hunter Biden is yet to be indicted. Donald Trump has been indicted. Donald Trump has been investigated, what, a couple of years, a year and a half? He's been indicted four times. I mean, the Seinfeld watchers not stupid. They're just not paying close attention. But when they hear that, they go like, wow, something that smell right there, man. I mean, they're, they're doing something different to this guy. And I think, you know, to turn Trump into a sympathetic figure, I mean, I, I would argue only the power and might of our federal government could turn <laughs> Donald Trump into a sympathetic figure. True. But damn, they hadn't done it. <laughs> and the polls clearly reflect that. Let's go to the poll. Dale in Florence. Good morning, Dale. Hey, guys. Good morning. And, and I, I really hope you're right. Here's my thought process. Okay, back in 20, uh, I saw President Trump, I mean, just blowing out arena after arena, stadium after stadium, gazillions of people there. Joe Biden had seven. He had seven people at his rallies. I think it was the same seven. Um, oh, and by the way, real quick, did you see that? Uh, don't know which agency it was, but one of them, and they think that it was a leak from Kamala's group that Gavin Newsom, if he decides to run for president, then he's a racist. Did y'all see that? I thought that was no, I missed that. Yeah, the one of the internal memos shared about. Right. Anyways, um, the polls showed Trump in, in the 20 election doing well, and he did. He got more votes against Biden than uh, he got against Hillary. But, oh, my goodness, what did Biden get? The polls didn't show anywhere near him getting 10 million more votes or whatever it was more than Trump. They didn't show that at all. They showed it, if anything, that it was a dead heat. Have we done enough in those 10, I can't remember how many counties, you 28 counties? It's about 28 counties. Enough, 28 counties in eight states. We know how 42 states are going to vote. I mean, there's no doubt right. about it. We kind of sort of know how another four there's about four out there that, that you know, will, I mean, that, that's going to be the key. And have the Republicans done enough in those states to, what's the word I'm looking for here, to, 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 to do enough to, to overcome what we know the Democrats are going to do? They're going to cheat. Now, here's another thing. I've heard you guys talking about how, how you've, you've met people, you know, Democrats that say, oh, well, I'm not going to vote for Biden again. Look at it. But I think for every one of those, there's most of them that don't care. I mean, I truly believe that your Democrats that call this show in the morning, I ain't going to call names. They know who they are. They could care less 
if Joe Biden got caught red-handed sticking a knife in somebody's neck, they're going to vote for him if he's the candidate. And they don't care what he's done. They don't care what Joe's done. Uh, they don't care what Hunter's done. They don't care what the uncles have done. They're going to vote for a Democrat regardless. And, you know, you talk about how Republicans, you know, we hold our opponents or our, our, our candidates' feet to the fire much closer than the, than the Democrats do. I don't think they really care what Joe or Hunter does. They just, they're not going to, you know, they're going to vote for a Democrat because they got their hand out. They want something for nothing. You guys have a good day. Thank you, uh, Dale. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, I've not said that I, Rev knows somebody who historically has voted Democrat. You would expect that person to vote Democrat, and they've shared with him they're voting for Trump. The people that I've talked with are normally Republicans who have just got Trump fatigue. I mean, they're, they're just tired of this, Not you know, like it's too much drama. It's too, it's too out of the normal. It's too out of the ordinary. I don't want any part of that. They're coming back home. I mean, that, that's my experience. I, you know, historically, the Republican nominee gets between 91 and 93% of the Republican vote. Trump got about 87 88% in 2020. He's got to do better than that. Uh, the, the Democrats are going to circle the wagons. Uh, but they'll get angry with one another. They'll yell and scream at one another. They'll threaten to boycott. Uh, but they're going to vote largely for their nominee. But uh, that's just who they are. Um, we've kind of inverted. There was an old saying in, in, in the good old days of politics, and I'm talking about back when the, um, the Democrats were the counterculturalists. You know, they were listening to Bob Dylan dancing naked on the hood of a Volkswagen at, at Woodstock or Burning Man stuck in the mud. What else can you do uh, in Nevada? But 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 I think there's been kind of an inversion. And I think now, and that's why I refer to this moment in American political history as the Republican Party's hippie moment. And, you know, the last person you expect to enjoy the hippie moment would be somebody like Mike Pence. And he's a fish out of water. I mean, he's just he's a lost soul in this new phenomenon within the Republican Party, and the party has to embrace counterculturalism or not because it is kind of a countercultural hippie moment within within the party. But but the Democrats have historically fallen in love, and the Republicans fall in line. And and now it's kind of it's kind of uh, different. I mean, the, the Democrats are going to fall in line. Don't don't fool yourself into believing that that hardcore Democrats are going to bail on Joe Biden. They're not. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's seven hundred dollars more a month to live your life as an American family. It doesn't matter how much money we spend to Ukraine. Joe Biden has a D beside their name. They're Democrats. Their loyalty will be tested, but it's not questioned. It's going to be there come November of 2024. What Trump has to do, and I think the Democrats are helping him with this, is lure some of the never-Trump Republicans back into the fold and convince enough independents in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, I, I still think Georgia's done an I, Georgia doesn't concern me. I could eat my words, but Georgia just does not. The, the, the dynamic is different this time than it was in um in 2020. And then you got Nevada and Arizona. I mean that that's what it'll boil down to. And we can, I mean, we got four hours of radio every day to kill and enjoy and and, and kind of converse about these things, and we will. But at the end of the day, can Trump get to 91 to 93 percent? of Republican voters in his camp, and can he carry what re Republicans historically have when they win presidential prime? He's going to get there a different way, but the math is still the same. I mean, I've told Rev a million times, you can have political theories, you can have um, campaigns and agendas and issues and, and, you know, orientations, but at the end of the day, 
It's math. I mean, it comes down to about four states and roughly somewhere between a quarter and a half million people. Take a break. Back in a moment. 843-661-0937. Let's pump the brakes on Trump Biden for a half second and get to some local, not local, but state um, business. We thought the Murdoch trial was done with. Um, justice prevailed, many believe. Uh, but now we've got a set of unanswered questions. Well, I mean, not unanswered questions. We've got some accusations being made and a book that was written, and we turned to our resident legal expert. I mean, when you get big time and talk radio, <laughs> you get a staff. And um, we get we get you know money set aside right, Ralph? Because no, Patrick's. We, I mean, I promised him payment yeah. on, oh, on this. Okay. Patrick McLaughlin. There, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Name, image, and likeness of Patrick McLaughlin's got to be worth um, something. Patrick's been kind enough to to come in and offer kind of a legal opinion on what happened during the Murdoch trial. What what normally we don't we talk about Seinfeld watchers in elections. I mean, I would be a Seinfeld watcher in legal affairs. I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I really don't know what the particulars and specifics are. Patrick's agreed to come in from the Wakila Law Firm. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. And we'll stop crying about the Gamecocks. We'll get to that. <laughs> crying and cussing about the Gamecocks is a way of life for, for Patrick and yours truly. But but I want to, so, so there's this new revelation. The clerk wrote a book, and in the book, she said certain things that could be perceived as tampering with a jury. I want to stop there because that's about all I know. Is that accurate? And what problems or potential scenarios does that create? Well, I think that the significance of the clerk writing the book appears to be twofold. Number one, some of the statements she makes in it, um, and that some of some of the things she she states in the book, um, the defense team is included in in their motion. But in watching the press conference that the defense team had the other day, it sounds like listen. Whenever you try a case, any lawyer who tries a case to a jury. It, you you want to talk to the jury afterwards. Uh, win, lose, or draw, you want to talk to the jury to find out what they think. You know, that's if you want to be a, good, a trial lawyer, you want to be good at it. You want feedback. You know, and so how did I do? Yeah, it's 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 not unusual for a lawyer to reach out to jurors after trial to or, or really for jurors unprompted to po possibly reach out to the lawyer. Uh, if you've tried enough cases, you've had that happen too. Um. And so it sounds like from the press conference that the defense was apparently had had heard something that maybe there was some some type of improper influence maybe on the jury, um, and so they they reached out to the jurors, but it sounds like nobody responded. That's not very unusual either. You know, I I very often will reach out to to all jurors after a trial, send a letter, just hey, listen, appreciate your time and. You know, if you have any questions about what went on, feel free to contact me. Um, or I, I would love to ask you some questions about, about you know, what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, and it's not unusual not to get any response, right? Because most of everyday people are like, listen, Jack, you already took had up a, three days of my life. enough of that. I'm yeah, going home. I, I, I had to listen to you talk for three days. I don't want to talk to you no more. And it sounds like that's kind of where they were. But then when this, when Miss Hill, the clerk of court, released her book, um, according to the pre the statements made at the press conference, apparently that kind of triggered some of these jurors to respond to these requests from the defense team to talk. And as the motion details, there's some troubling allegations and information that they have relayed that could very well, under the law, be the basis for, for Alex uh, getting a new trial. Allegations such as? Well, the, the, the most 
if it's true, the most damning allegation in this motion is the allegations about the fact that the clerk of court, Miss Hill, um, before Alex testified, made comments to the jury about his credibility. And the case law is pretty clear that if she did that, he's entitled to a new trial. I mean, it's the there's a case, State versus Cameron, a South Carolina Court of Appeals case, and it says pretty clearly that any outside influence on a jury, listen, we the Sixth Amendment to the Constitution guarantees all of us the right to uh, a, a speedy and quick public trial, meaning that you're tried in the courtroom, not back in the jury room, and by a impartial jury. And law, case law has long said that means a jury free from outside influences. And so any outside influence potentially infringes upon the accused Sixth Amendment right. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One is that under Sixth Amendment, you also got the right to confront the witnesses against you. Let's say this is true. Miss Hill's back there telling the jurors, you know, you need to really watch Alec. Don't believe what he said. He's going to try to fool you. That's happening outside of the courtroom. He doesn't know that. His lawyers do not have the chance to confront her about that. She's essentially about there being a witness against him, uh, influencing the jury. And so any outside influence is, is potentially a violation of that right. The case law, that's that State versus Cameron case from South Carolina Court of Appeals is clear that when it's a court official who makes a statement to a jury, that the accused shall be given a new trial unless it is clear that the statements were were harmless and could not have influenced the jury. So who investigates these charges and who ultimately decides whether it rises to the level of tampering or not? Well, if because uh, a lot of people had a lot at stake convicting Alec Murdoch of murder. Am I right? Oh, they, they, they I mean, there's a lot of people who are still taking their I mean, victory I mean, laps. We'll right be now. with us at 905. Alan Wilson's calling in at 905. I yeah. mean, there's a lot in play for him. Judge Newman comes to mind. Um, but, but ultimately, who gets to decide? Who investigates these charges? And then who decides whether Murdoch deserves a, another trial or not? Well, so the, the legal process is, is that if, if, you, if you have if the defense presents a credible allegation that there may have been outside influence, so they're entitled to an evidentiary hearing. And I believe it's, uh, they, I think they referred to at other press conferences, a Rimmer hearing, um, which I believe is a United States Supreme court case, but it's basically you're, you're going to the, the defendant has a right to have a hearing where they can put up jurors and they can be questioned. And then that would be the trial judge would, would preside over that, Judge Newman, and they would have an evidentiary hearing, and then Judge Newman would be the first person asked to make a decision on but that. But you got to believe, well, I, I'm not a lawyer. Asking Judge Newman to undo what he's already done, that's, that's a heavy lift. Yes, yes. Um, so, so if Judge Newman does what we would expect him to do, and I'm being uh, a, a bit blunt here, then, then what? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, if if it comes out that she made any type of comment about 
the credibility, she being the clerk of court. Made that's any type that's of, by definition tampering. Uh, on any type of thing, if she made any comment about Alex's credibility to the jury, I mean, the law is pretty clear. He's entitled to a new trial. Now, whether or not that's Judge Newman giving it to him or Columbia through the court of, our but, court but of appeals. Agree, I'm, interrupted, court. I'm interrupted, but you would agree if people were Vulcans that clarity would be in interpreted its clarity people aren't vulcans yeah they're human beings with emotions invested uh that 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 would to me would cloud the process well i mean there listen there's no doubt that no one wants to have to try this case over again i mean you know it, good lord the the cost of this trial w- was probably astronomical trying it again would be astronomical but i mean if that happened Regardless of what you think about Alex's guilt or innocence, you have to support him getting a new trial because the our whole system, we have enough problems right now with people questioning the impartiality and objective objectivity of our, our justice system. The only way people can have faith in it is if the system works for the worst of us. It, we, we have to bend over backwards to give the absolute worst SOB the fairest trial possible because only then can we be assured that it'll work for us. And we've got a real problem in this country with people questioning whether or not the system works. And if you've got a situation where a court official is – making these allegations. If it proves that there is, it's not clear that she didn't. Sure. There's any question about it whatsoever. Then, you know, the law is clear. He deserves a new trial. Okay. Who ultimately decides yay or nay? I mean, you talk about these stages. I mean, at the end of the day, who get, who is the, the last chance Alec Murdoch has to get a, uh, a new trial? Well, a couple of folks up in Washington, DC. I mean, you know, it, if, the first, first step would be, I mean, first off, they have to get the Court of Appeals to send it back down to Newman to, to have this evidentiary hearing. And if they do, then Judge Newman would be the first decision maker to decide it. Um, and then if if he doesn't grant the new trial, then you would appeal it up through our, our state appellate process, court, our Court of Appeals, then our Supreme Court. And then if, if you still don't get the new trial and you still think that there is evidence there, that that the jury was improperly influenced, you appeal it, you know, at that point to the United States Supreme Court. And I got to believe, forgive my ignorance, there is no way, if there is a new trial granted at some point in time, obviously the jury in the same jury. No, no. How about the judge? How about the venue? How about the location? Well, uh, you've got a situation where um, Judge Newman is about, is, is about to retire. I mean, he that that was known going into this stuff. This was kind right? of his swan song. That's exactly right. So whether it, it's not unusual though in South Carolina for judges to retire, but then sit, uh, you know, active retired. You know, a, a good example is our former state Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice Gene Toll. Uh, judge uh, Judge Toll still sits. Um, active retired and she handles a lot of very, you know, like con complex litigation. I think she's handled a lot of the asbestos cases, uh, that come through Richland County and stuff like that. So, I mean, he, he could retire and still 
be appointed by the chief justice. And if he wants to, he, and the chief justice wants to leave him on there, our chief justice, Justice uh, Beatty, wants to leave him there, then he could very well continue to sit on it. Okay, we got one minute. How long could this take? How long would you expect this to take? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it can take forever. I mean, if it's, if, if the appellate process itself, I could take a very long time. Of course, we know that there was that this trial happened very quickly, sure. uh, a lot more quickly than, than, than a murder case normally would happen. Um, but it, in the normal course of things, I mean, oh, you, I could be coming on here talking about Alex Murdoch uh, uh, long enough to where maybe the Gamecocks are good and we win a national championship. <laughs> That's a good way to close this. Thank you, my man. All right. And I really appreciate it. I mean, you've explained it in a way that um, us, us non-lawyers and lay people can, uh, can very well understand. Patrick McLaughlin of the Bequila Law Firm. Uh, we may lean on him again because I've got a feeling with Dick Hart Pootley involved, it's going to be colorful and, and celebrated. Thank you, sir. All right. Go Cox. We'll, yeah, go Cox. We'll take a break back in just a couple of minutes. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. D W N Florence. Good morning. Hey guys, what's up? Hey, hey. Hey man, got the music still going on right here. Yeah, I hear the music uh, in the background. Yeah, background music. That's really cool. I reckon. Oh. I'll just say go Tigers, but I don't know where they went. So I hope they come back. Uh, is this your background music or mine? Uh, it must be coming from here. Hey me. You, you got something in utility, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> Continue okay, your thought. You yeah. can talk louder yeah. in that background music. I know you. <laughs> no doubt about that, friend. I was just going to say something about what you were talking about earlier, about uh, the, almost like the good and evil. You know, there's uh, two different things there that we were talking about earlier. One was, there's two different great thoughts, and I'm going to say this quick. There's one really, really, really wise man who said, you'll be known by your fruits, and that's who you should look to. And there's another very evil, evil, evil person that was said was the accuser of the brethren. So do you look for the one who produces fruit or you look for one who calls lies and throws stones all the time? Uh, to me, it's a pretty easy choice. You pick the one who's doing the right thing and you don't pick the one who's doing the wrong thing. But we have a tendency to get lost in what's right and what's wrong. So uh, you guys have a good day. Go Tigers. Come back sometime soon. And uh, Gamecocks, hope you have a good weekend this weekend. Y'all guys have a great day. Thank you, D.W. Appreciate it, my Thank man. You, sir. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, good versus evil. I think very often we don't include that as part of the discourse. I'm not saying Biden's evil and Trump is good. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but I do believe, and, and we talk about a lot of these disagreements we have in government. I get it. I mean, I understand it. I am. I mean, I, I, I yearn for the day that we go back to arguments about taxes and, and infrastructure and, you know, a serious debate about the entitlements and debts and, and some of these other problems that I think are monumental and are going to face the nation eventually uh, and force us to to deal with and, and to some accord. But, but, but I think the one overriding sentiment that a lot of Americans feel today, and I think Patrick elaborated on that, and um, and Patrick and I would probably disagree at, at some level on some of these things. But, but when the people don't trust the government's ability, look, there's a difference in trusting the government's ability to get it right when it comes to education or infrastructure. I mean, that, that's different. I mean, you know, what is, what is the right amount to spend on education in America, Josh? You don't know. I don't know. Rev doesn't know. None of us know. I mean, it's arbitrary. You've got a, you've got a number in mind. I mean, if you were a member of Congress and a budget came across your desk and had X number of dollars for spending in education, I mean, you, you would have a reason to explore and understand that number, and somebody would have every legitimate reason to disagree with you when it comes to that. 
Um, you know, education, infrastructure, debt, entitlements. Th- these are important debts. I mean, important debates, but there's no perfect answer to that because you got a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. But we can't have two opinions about the equal application of justice. I mean, we just can't. We can't have that. You'll never unite this country if that is a central um, issue, if that's a disagreement that we're having. And Patrick said, um, you know, the, the, the state of affairs in America today where so many people don't trust our justice system, don't trust whether we're equally applying justice or not. And, you know, I mean, as a radio show host, I mean, I could be real provocative and say when law and government are used to hide and, um, you know, protect corrupt uh, corruption on one side of the political aisle and manufacture and severely punish on the other side. But there's no reconciling that. There's no uniting the country if that's one of the central issues. I think we can disagree about education and infrastructure and some of these other, you know, government functions. We can't disagree on that or we'll never be united again. 843-661-0937, back in a few. Thursday morning, 843-661-0937. The weekend convinced me that summer was over. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday has convinced me that I was wrong about summer being over. Think Still a again. couple of three weeks left of hot summer weather. Um, I watched a little bit of the U.S. Open tennis tournament yesterday. Wow. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine playing tennis for five hours, especially in a 100-degree um, temperature. Uh, Attorney General Alan Wilson is with us this morning uh, on the phone. Good morning, uh, Mr. Wilson. How are you? Good, good morning, Mr. Ard. Thanks for having me back on your show. Absolutely. And under these circumstances, I think it's important we engage our listeners to explain um, kind of your urgency or your sense of urgency. And I don't want to misspeak, but you, you correct me if I'm wrong. You're leading an 18-state coalition because of a Tennessee law, the Adult Entertainment Act, and the district court ruling in a way that you think is incorrect. Is that a proper synopsis of, uh, of this particular issue? Yes, sir, it is. Tennessee passed a law, as you just said, called the Adult Entertainment Act. And basically what it says is it prohibits people from engaging in performances, entertainment performances that include nudity, sexual excitement, sexual conduct, excessive violence, or sadomasochistic abuse in the presence of children. Tennessee passed this law. A federal district court judge said that uh, that law was unconstitutional because it was based on an impermissible purpose. Um, the, the judge basically said they were targeting drag shows uh, because opponents of the law said this targets drag shows. And so they struck it down or they enjoined it from going into effect. I got on the phone with the Tennessee AG who was intending to defend the law. So I said, let me help you. So we rounded up 17 other states that joined South Carolina in support of Tennessee's suit or appeal to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals to basically have the law go into effect. So what does success look like, Alan? I mean, if, if, if there's a, I mean, is it, is it a reversal of a decision? I mean, forgive my ignorance. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a lay person. But just yeah. walk me through what you would like to see happen. Well, tennis, first off, I think states, Tennessee, like South Carolina, has the right to be able to pass laws with the sole purpose of protecting children. And a, and a district court judge basically said Tennessee does not have the right to pass a law that protects children. So success to me looks like we go in, we file this brief in support of Tennessee, and we want to have this federal district court judge's injunction overturned and so that the law can then go into effect. 
And basically the whole purpose of the law is to prevent children from being subjected to entertainment venues and public spaces that have things like nudity and sexual abuse, sadomasochic abuse, sexual content. I mean, that is what we're trying to protect children from. People who are critics of this law think that you should have the right to, whether it's a drag show or a regular strip club type show, you should be able to go in there and do whatever you want in front of the children. We don't think that's right, and we think a state has a general police power to protect kids, and we want to defend it in Tennessee because one day someone's going to come here and try to prevent the General Assembly from protecting our kids. So would you encourage, as part of this, the General Assembly of South Carolina to be proactive? Well, Absolutely. Absolutely, I would encourage them to be proactive. And and they, and they and listen, you know, I've been talking to leaders in the General Assembly, and they're very attuned to this issue. And I'm sure that this issue will come up. Um, but again, if we can win this case over in Tennessee in the Sixth Circuit, it will be good case law for South Carolina passing their laws. Alan, is there any time frame? I mean, obviously, the wheels of justice grind slowly, like the wheels of government. I mean, is there any expectation of when we could potentially get this decision reversed? Uh, hopefully, later this fall. Okay, before the end of the year. Yes, sir. Good deal. That yes, surprises sir. me when government and, <laughs> and, and the legal uh, the legal process is involved. I want to shift gears, and this is more in general. I mean, the, the, the example you just talked about is very specific to Tennessee. You're leading a coalition. But, but I want to be, I want to be c- kind of speaking in general terms about AI and child pornography. I don't have a small, small child. I have three kids. Uh, the youngest is 20, so I'm not as concerned about how available child pornography is. Um, I don't understand artificial intelligence. That's probably what scares me the most about that. What do you perceive your responsibility to be in protecting children who are on the computer, un, un, um, uh, you know, unchaperoned, so to speak? And, and, and you know, there, there, there are a lot of child pornography and a lot of artificial intelligence made available. Do you feel your office has any obligation in relation to that technology? Absolutely can. And let me tell you why I think you and I and other people, your listeners should be scared, uh, scared of what AI can do. And I'll give you an example. But before I give you the example, let me go to the big picture. AI, which is artificial intelligence, is a brand new innovative and disruptive technology. And it is it, it, what it's doing in 2023 is the same thing that the Internet did in 1993. It changed how we relate in society. It affected society forever. AI is going to do that now what the Internet did 30 years ago. And here's here's how it could. I mean, you can actually, you know, you've heard of ChatGPT where an, an artificial intelligence software program can write a paper for someone. But there's other things AI can do. You could take – there could be a video – or a audio clip of Kennard or Alan Wilson saying something horrific, something racist or something anti-Semitic. Uh, it could even be a video of us, and it could look exactly like us. It could be indistinguishable from either of us, and, but you and I never said it or did it. That is where the technology is. They're called deepfakes. Well, right now, as it relates to children, um, we can go after people who are, who are going online and they're manufacturing child porn or sexually abusive material like videos or images or pictures of children engaged in sexual acts. And when I'm talking children, I'm talking like five, six, ten-year-olds engaged in actual sex acts with adults. And the law prohibits that. That is a criminal act. You can go to prison for many years. But what happens if a predator online were to use AI technology to take, say, an innocent photo 
then they can only take a photo of you or me or a video of you or me and, and change it to make it look like we're doing something we're not supposed to be doing. Well, they can do that with children, and they could take an innocent photo of your child off of Facebook and, and then reproduce it as your child engaged in a sex act. Or they could create a child completely out of thin air that doesn't even exist. You won't know the difference, but in doing so, they're continuing to feed the child porn market and create more demand for it. So the laws right now are – we're a little bit concerned that the laws right now don't go far enough to cover areas where there is a child that is being exploited but not directly or a child who has been created out of thin air to feed the child exploitation market. And we want Congress to cover that in the federal statutes, and we also want the state of South Carolina to look at our uh, child exploitation laws and evolve those to catch up with the technology. So basically the things, I mean, and it's hard to, I mean, I can't even comprehend. I mean, I guess when I was younger, I couldn't comprehend the Internet to that same point. I can't comprehend artificial intelligence. But you believe it's responsible for limited government conservatives like yourself to demand the federal government do something to regulate AI? I mean, is that a fair description? Well, here's the thing. The technology gets technology evolves faster than the law. And and the people, you know, being a conservative and a limited government conservative doesn't mean you're not for passing new laws. It's for constraining the power of government. But before, you know, 100 years ago, there were no traffic laws because there weren't any motor vehicles, right? The laws had to catch up with the technology. You know, I mean, horse and buggies were one thing, but motor vehicles on an open road were completely different. So the laws had to evolve. You know, the, uh, look, look at how privacy has changed in the advent of the Internet um, with social media. Um, the laws had to catch up to protect that. Well, AI is a, is a brand-new technology that is innovative, and we are asking um, the federal government to catch up the federal laws as it relates to child sex abuse or child exploitation. We want it to catch up with AI in the state of South Carolina. We want our state laws to catch up. With AI, we're not wanting to empower or enlarge the federal government's reach. We're wanting the federal government and the state government to evolve its statutory uh, crimes to account for the AI technology that didn't exist five years ago. Sure, keeping up with the times. That's very well explained. Alan, thank you for your time. If there's any way we can assist you on these very worthy issues, let us know. Ken, you're talking about it right now on this radio program, and that is helpful because you're raising awareness. I appreciate you for having me back on, sir. Thank you, sir. Attorney General Alan Wilson, uh, a couple of issues there that are, um, I think the majority of us can agree. You know, Elon Musk is probably one of the most interesting human beings on the planet today. Um, I was watching a weird podcast the other day. Uh, Weirdos gravitate toward a weird (laughs) podcast, and I stand guilty as charged. But anyway, I'm watching a podcast, and Musk has the typical black T-shirt, you know, that he wears like jobs in his black uh, turtleneck Musk has the black t-shirt and, um, <laughs> and these two young tech geeks are asking him about, you know, the biggest challenges of the world. And he's talking about AI and, you know, we need to pause and, and let some of these, I guess, regulations catch up to, uh, you know, the, uh, the technology that is artificial intelligence, but then he, but then Musk, I mean, in his, in his most unique way, I mean, he's just such an interesting dude and he's got this, I mean, we, we, there's a there's a there's a definition for what he does. We've we've tried to explain this the best way we know how, which is pretty lousy, because um, it's above our head. We just you know smart people know when they're out of their uh, out of their lane and they shut up. I'm one of these that you know. Let's see if we can live in this lane for a while. I mean, it isn't our lane, but let's <laughs> see what we can do over here for a while. But remember um, when you when you listen to Peter Thiel or Elon Musk talk, I mean, you're already nodding your oh, head. Yeah. They have this weird delivery, and there's a condition. 
people with extraordinarily high IQs and enormous brain power subconsciously understand that they're talking to people with inferior intellect. But they're not calling you dumb, but you didn't ace the SAT twice. You know, you didn't graduate first in your class at Stanford. I mean, these guys are, I mean, literal geniuses, uh, good and bad. I mean, I'm not saying everything Teal's done has been for the betterment of mankind. Everything Musk has done is not for the betterment of mankind. But when when Elon Musk starts talking about, you know, lithium ion and solid state battery technology and then reverse propulsion, and he knows what he's talking about. And, and Teal starts talking about some of those same sorts of things. It's obvious they would be, um, you know, the 1% intellects. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And just raw brain power. I mean, they have more than most of us. But they have this weird delivery. And there's been studies done on these people who are brighter, on aver- brighter than the, the average American. And this weird delivery they have. And they're really trying to not embarrass you. I mean, they're trying to break it down, and they don't intend it. It's subconscious, but but they they're, they're kind of programmed to understand. Ken's not as smart as I, so let 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 let's slow 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 down so someone like Ken can can under, understand what 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 I'm trying to say. I mean, you you're I've yeah I've noticed that, that's it. the way it is. I mean, it, those two guys in particular, and and they have this this you know I mean it he stutters. No, it doesn't. No, it's not. They stuttering. stop and say. Um, to let you catch up, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> to let you catch up. But anyway, Musk said, you know, about AI. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be regulated. It's got to be. We got to. We got to kind of slow it down a bit. I mean, the technology is going to be so far ahead of. I mean, the people can use it for nefarious and you know malicious acts, and yeah, we can't have like that. Alan so, Wilson yeah, just described. Like, like Wilson just said, you know, uh, and I hadn't thought of that. You didn't have motor vehicle laws. We didn't have cars. You know, uh, your horse stays on this side of the road. My buggy <laughs> stays on that side. But, but Musk said the two biggest challenges facing uh, the world today is the depopulation reality, the fact that people are not having kids. Um, and he went down this big elaborate road about pessimism, you know, the pessimism scale. Why would I want to bring a kid into a broken world? You know, uh, some of it's selfish. He argues that a lot of people use that as an excuse. If I have a kid, that's less attention I can pay to myself. And we're all about ourselves. So he says, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's a truth to the broken world and, you know, the, the, the I don't know, the, the, the romantic soul not wanting to bring that kid into the broken world, but it's really about the romantic soul not wanting to have to keep up with something other than themselves, their lives, their priorities, what they want to do with their time. But the other thing he said, and it's kind of oxymoronic, is people are living too long. And, and, and the guy kind of pushed Musk and said, what do you mean people are living too long? He said, well, I mean, it's creating log jams in employment. And then, you know, it's creating all these entitlement problems and debt as a result of. But, and the guy said, so Elon, how long should people live? He said, well, I, I don't know that I'm the one that needs to say how long people should live. But, you know, when the average life expectancy in America gets to 90 years, and he talked about a bit of a, a decline in life expectancy, a lot of that is, you know, COVID and and um and opiates and in the weirdest way imaginable guys i mean i, I hate to say this but when the, the the percentage of our population and it's increasing every year over the age of 70 it'll eventually be over the age of 75 over the age of 80 over the age of of 85 and musk basically says we've got two problems in in the world people are not having enough kids for whatever reason and people are living too long 
And I kind of agree with that. I mean, I, I don't know that I've studied enough uh, about the population or the depopulation problem in the world, but I've studied a lot about longevity in life. You know, I work out, and it's a lot about longevity. And Elon says that as people live longer and become, and you're less productive in your later years, you just are. I mean, you become more of a taker than a giver. It creates financial problems. It creates societal problems. Um, if Josh is waiting on me to retire because he wants to host a radio show and Ken's healthier at 70 than normal 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, next thing you know, I think I can host a radio show at 85 years old. I mean, if I can be minority leader at 81 out of my mind or president at 81 not know him in the world, why can't I host a radio show at 80? So Josh didn't wait 10 years. Josh waited 30 years, you know, for that opportunity. And, and Elon says it's just it's creating a logjam of opportunity is what the, the, the point he's making. And, you know, I, 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 I'll say this. I mean, I've had a, a physician friend tell me, people are living too damn long. We're keeping them alive too damn long. Let's go to the phone. Jim and Florence, good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Elon Musk is the one that I really listen to a lot when he talks about uh, the issues of not having enough children. And then you look at South Carolina's birth rate at 1.71. You know, and then we mention these things to our elected officials, and, and all we get told is we don't want to have more handouts. But that's for another discussion. Um, so yesterday, a big ruling came down from the Supreme Court of this state. And, and I'll, I'll start with a question, Ken. If Let's say you're in prison, and Jay Jordan, Alan Wilson, and let's say a white conservative judge who pals around with Republicans um, conspire to get you unlawfully released early, would there be an investigation coming indictments and booking photos for those three that conspired to, to get you released unlawfully early? See, you're sounding like Jeff. You're making me answer questions. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I, I'll, I'll answer that. Yes. So the answer is yes. So we need to ask um, the question to Alan Wilson, because yesterday the Supreme Court of this state said, um, that the release of Gerard Price violated our Constitution because in this state, um, in this state, victims have a right to be notified, a constitutional right to be notified um, about pending hearings, and they were not notified. Um, and our Supreme Court said that um, Casey, Casey Manning, who pals around with Donald Beatty, who is a former elected Democrat in our state legislature, Todd Rutherford, a Democrat who was the defense attorney and a state mem state house member, and Byron Gibson, again, another Democrat who was a solicitor for the Fifth Circuit, I believe, up there in Columbia, that all three of those conspired to unlawfully release Gerard Price. We need to know, is there an investigation? Is SLED investigating these three? And is there an intent to indict these three for conspiring to commit misconduct in office and are they going to be arrested? And then further, we need, to, we need to ask the governor, is he going to remove Byron Gibson from his post, which the governor in this state has the authority to do so? I, I think these hard questions need to be asked to restore faith um, in our obviously corrupt judicial system um, to ensure that we have faith in it and we don't just continue to talk about the Murdoch. But, but Jim, before you get out of here, because you're good about, you know, just getting out of here in a hurry, I, I want to ask you this because, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious because you keep up with this probably more than I do. Um, 
Do you believe this is the Judicial Merit Screening Committee on trial? Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about absolutely. You know, we look at 48 other states. I mean, we think that our world is our world and nothing else exists and not realizing that 48 other states put judges on the ballot in some form or fashion. Now, they don't do it to all to the degree that I would like, but I don't expect them to. And I don't expect this state to do everything that I want, but they put them on the ballot. And why do they put them on the ballot? Because it actually removes more politics by putting them on the ballot. We can see who their benefactors are because they have to report it. Instead of you give the money to the senator, you take care of the senator, you take care of the House member, and then the House member uh, takes care of that, that judge. I mean, you can point to a lot of cases, even here locally, um, where judges had to rule against the House member, and they're no longer judges, Ken. Um, I think there was a case out of Charleston uh, recently where a judge um, uh, released a criminal who went and hired a House member. Um, and there, I think Will Folks uh, reported on that case quite a bit. Um, but, you know, we have to we have to pick, you know, our are attorneys going to pick judges or are they going to present cases in front of the judges because it just doesn't pass the smell test? How, I mean, how can you legitimately elect the people? I mean, how, they call it electing, but it's appointing. How can you appoint the people you present cases in front of? It just, it, it reeks, it opens the door to corruption. So even good people uh, may fall victim to being accused of corruption because it opens the door to it, and other people have obviously taken advantage of it, like Todd Rutherford. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. That's kind of an answer. I mean, once again, uh, where do we go from here? I mean, it's a complicated debate. I've argued with many lawyer friends of mine. I've argued with some lawyer legislators of mine. Some of the non-lawyer legislators don't believe lawyers should be on the judicial screening merit or judicial merit screening committee. They don't believe they should vote on the election. Uh, of judges, it's complicated. I mean, it's extremely complicated. Jim's persistent. I mean, very persistent. Now, I've read where there is an investigation into this particular issue and involving the personalities that Jim uh, mentioned. I don't know that to be true, but there's some reporting out there in some of the media that, and some of the alternative media, that indeed there is an investigation. Where it goes, don't have any idea. Take a break. Back in a few. Now, I want to go back to this living too long stuff. That applies to you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, who's going to be the first to say, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, I want you to clearly understand. Me and my crowd, we, 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 you know, we're <laughs> exempt from some of Elon Musk's or Elon Musk nonsense. <laughs> but it's just kind of interesting. I mean, they, these are, I mean, there is no answer to that question. It's a little bit, what is the optimal temperature of the planet Earth? How, what, what, is, what, what should the average age be? Of, of the or, American, or the maximum age. Yeah, or the maximum age. I mean, should we kill all people at 90? I mean, I know. I mean, I, you know, aging is arbitrary. It's not exact. I mean, I know people that, that do quite well in their 80s. And I know an 80-year-old man, president of the United States, who doesn't do um, quite so well. But, you know, Musk is one of these idea guys. You know, I mean, he's one of these concepts, the concept of this and the concept of that. Um, my problem, Musk and I have one thing in common. I have two days. Two, we're dudes. And we have busy head syndrome. He just has the intellectual horsepower to have his head be as busy as it is. Mine gets overworked. 
and start smoking and breaking <laughs> down and making big mistakes and not doing uh, fundamentally correct things. But I just want to reiterate the, you know, we're all living too long. That applies to you guys. I'm exempt uh, from the um, we're all living too long scenario. Got any names for the chopping block then? <laughs> Josh is saying, surely this guy's not doing a radio show in his 80s. Um, <laughs> I, I'll say this to that point. Um, I mean, I, I'm not some prophet by any stretch. I'm not some business guru. But, but I do believe I figured out one thing, and that is that Americans are going to have to work and earn money longer than they ever imagined they would. I mean, I believe that. I think all the evidence clearly shows that. I mean, unless you catch lightning in a bottle, build a business, sell it, and put up a lot of money. I mean, sure, that happens. But on average, and and, and the masses will have to work longer than they ever had to work. And, and I'm telling you, if you had a, you know, let's say somebody's done well, and they got a couple of million bucks to get them to the finish line. You better hope the finish line isn't as far off as uh, you wish it would. I mean, in other words, there's kind of, a, kind of an oxymoron here. I want to live longer, but I don't want to run out of money. Well, I mean, inflation, the average American family is spending $700 more a month. We're all poor. I don't care how much you've got. But the inflation, the inflation created by the federal government as a result of its macroeconomic stimulus has made you poorer. It doesn't matter what you make. I mean, you know, a happy meal isn't six bucks anymore. It's 13 bucks. Uh, you know, a small bag of groceries at the grocery store is not 40 bucks. It's 75 or 80 bucks. Uh, the house that was two fifty is three seventy five. We're all poor. Some are just wealthy enough to be poorer. <laughs> Some are not. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jeff in Florence. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Um, about the inflation, um, you recognize that the whole world is is experiencing an inflation. I don't live bubble. all over the world. I live in South Carolina, man. I mean, I just know that you, we printed about sure six point three trillion dollars that we didn't have. And government officials said inflation is going to be transitory. It's September 2023, and trans—I mean, inflation is as high as it's ever been in in modern human history. Well, it, but it is trending down, correct? Well, I mean, if if you call doesn't feel like a, a month. Well, I mean, yeah, well, uh, yeah it's sure. trending down. I mean, yeah, it's it's not six and a half percent per month. It's now two and a half, three percent, three and a half percent per month. Right. Right. And, but and when you have, say trending have, down, I want it with for clarity's sake, inflation is not going down. Inflation is slowing down. There is no correct. inversion of inflation. Things aren't getting cheaper. Well, they're getting more expensive number, at a slower rate. Yeah, there is a number that is shrinking, and it is the growth of inflation. The inflation that we're experiencing today is not as inflationary as what we were dealing with a year ago. But it's right. still inflation. But the whole world is experiencing it. You'll agree with that? Yeah, but I, I, I don't. I mean, to me, okay. I don't. I don't. That was that was a simple question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm Jeff sorry, show Mr. Now, yeah, yeah, you know, let, let yeah, me. No, no. Let, I mean, like, Jeff asked the question, and I answered the way Jeff wants it answered. Yeah. I'm sorry. My bad, Jeff. I thought this well, was I mean, my it, chair it, and my it, microphone. It, Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, but I like to borrow it every now. Yeah. And fair yes, enough. You do. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. So, um, can we get a sponsor for Jeff's segment? I, I think know. we can. I, I really so. do. Well, good luck. Good luck finding a sponsor for Liberty. We can find some electric car company out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> just just to uh, just to clarify, like when we talk about uh, inflation, what what is the, the one of the biggest factors? Of inflation is labor, right? Agree. Cost of goods is one thing, but labor is huge, right? Mm -hmm. And so, when you 
what has American economy always run on in the past? Our labor market is all about immigrant labor. Would you agree with that? Uh, not all about it. Mean, I think certain, certain sectors of our economy depend on immigrant labor, no doubt. Do you know anybody who's not hiring right now? Oh, I know people that can't find workers. I mean, I know the majority of right. businesses can't find adequate employees. Yeah, there, there's no workers available, right? I think there are a lot of worker, potential workers available, but the workforce participation rate is about 61 or 2%. Yeah. Have you seen what's going on in Florida with the construction industry right now? I see some of that, yeah. Yeah. What do you think in North Carolina, or South Carolina, if you were to say – like do what Florida did. If you said no immigrants, if you hire an immigrant, you're, you're going to jail. And and I, look, I have no problem with that policy. You, you want to stop illegal immigration, you stop hiring illegals. But what would happen to your construction site? We agree with that. I mean, if you, if you want to stop, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to reward labor more fairly, then stop allowing illegals to come into our country and and do jobs that you know American citizens could could and would do. And well, I and, do I, and I know where you're headed. And I you know I, I debate this a lot with myself. So so let's go to the thirteen. Give me give me the floor one second, Jeff. Let, 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 <laughs> please, let, please. Let, let's let's go to the fourteen dollar Happy Meal. And that's not a Happy Meal. I mean, in all honesty, it's a it's an adult combo. So let's go to the fourteen dollar adult combo in Georgetown Sunday. A lot of the reason for that, I mean, it is, it is beef's more expensive, chicken's more expensive, you know, uh, Diet Pepsi's more expensive. But a lot of that is the person that took my order prior to COVID was making $9 an hour. Now they're making $16, $17 an hour, or they won't work. And the business has to have someone manning that takeout window. They have to pay someone to do that job. And when, when the government says, you know, we'll pay you X number of dollars to not go to work, the the fast food joint has to outbid the government, so so without question, I mean the, to 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 get labor back, and I, and I'm I'm the guy that's argued Jeff, and this is the populist in me. I'm the guy that argued capital has taken advantage of our recent economy. Labor has been punished as our recent economy. So it is oxymoronic. I mean it is it is a quandary we find ourselves in because I'm basically saying I don't want to pay fourteen dollars. For a happy meal or, a, or an adult combo, but I want the person working behind that window to not be poor and impoverished and have to depend on food stamps and government assistance. Because we're paying for them regardless. That's the point. Like, I, I don't you... disagree with that. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. in, in the weirdest way imaginable, we're subsidizing whether we pay them more to take my order or, or pay them less and they're getting a subsidy because they qualify because they are the working poor. Yes. And when you think about America, and, and look, we have an immigration issue that needs to be resolved. But is it to shut the border and not allow immigrants into the United States? Well, if you do that, get ready for no houses to be built. Get ready for fast food restaurants to be even more expensive. You're not getting your tomatoes to your grocery store. You're not getting your strawberries picked. Imagine the United States as a developing country without immigrants. Would the railroad, would they have ever driven that golden spike in the middle of the country? 
But, Jeff, I don't know anybody arguing for no immigration. I think what people are arguing, I, I can't speak for others. Really? What, no, well, I mean, I, let me, I, I just said, I can't speak for others. What I'm arguing is a lawful, orderly way to process people into our nation, whether it's a work visa, whether it's permanent status. Let's secure the border and have a lawful, orderly way for people to enter in our country. Not, and everybody doesn't have to eventually become a resident. Prepare our current laws. Yeah, I mean, let's enforce the laws we've got on the books. That's all I'm right. after. I'm not, I'm not yeah. anti-immigration. But when you say enforce the laws, if you defund the system that processes immigrants, you realize it's non-compliance has got to happen. Yeah, but you right? would agree to me money's not the problem. Please don't. I mean, that, that's oh, the liberal. Is. No. I mean, no, no. you're, no, no, you're no. suggesting that our border lacks the funding necessary to effectively secure it. No. The processing department that processes immigrants is underfunded. Can you see that? No, not at all. I don't think there's a single government agency in existence oh. underfunded. Really? No. So the VA is no. not underfunded? Jeff, how are we spending? How can you argue we're underfunding government when we're spending a trillion this year, two trillion that we don't have? I, I just, for the life of me, don't understand. Government gets enough money to meet its objectives, it just chooses not to. I think Nikki Haley was right when she talked about the government. I think Nikki Haley was correct when she said that we're, we're, you know, there is no fiscal responsibility on either part. You and I, you, that, that's one of the things we agree on. Neither party yeah. has shown a willingness to be serious about our fiscal, uh, the dire straits we find ourselves in fiscally and what some of the answers are. I, I, I've never blamed the Democrats for the debt. I mean, I, I, I've, I've criticized Donald Trump for, for not having any interest at all in addressing what I think is fundamentally going to be our downfall, and that is our inability to service our debt and borrow more money. Right. So, and, and not to get off on a tangent, but as far as the, uh, the inflation issue, it's bigger than Joe Biden, you know, is mismanaged, like uh, saying transitory. It's bigger than, um, you know, we gave out surplus money. The whole world's experiencing this issue. China's about to implode. It's only going to get worse. And, and, you know, and it works until it doesn't work anymore. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it, my yeah. man. Um, and and I, don't, I don't disagree in theory with what – I mean, our, our solutions would be different. But, but I've never said the Democrats are, to, are completely to blame for – I mean, it, to me, the Democrats are a little more honorable in the debt debate than the Republicans. I mean, I don't know of a Democrat that's ever sent a mailer out or been on television saying, send me to Washington and, and I'll – I'll restrain spending. I'll exhibit fiscal restraint. I'll, I'll be responsible with your taxpayer dollars. I've never heard a Democrat send ads to its voters saying that or suggesting that. I mean, it's, it's the Republicans who have professed to be limited government, small government, um, you know, balanced budgets and all these other um, sorts of things. But, but, you know, whether Jeff and I agree on the solution, I think reasonable people have to admit that we can't spend a trillion dollars a year we don't have forever. You just can't. Well, where's the point of no return? Carl Icahn doesn't know it. If he doesn't know, I don't know. Warren Buffett doesn't know it. If he doesn't know, I don't know. But there's a point out there where the dollar loses its prestige. We can't borrow any more money, and government has to tell people, no, we can't do that any longer. When, where, how, I don't know. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. Someone on the phone, let's go there. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. 
Good morning, actually, Charles in Bennisville this morning. Uh, some people use words that mean different things. We don't have a problem with immigrants. You can't say you can't hire immigrants. We have a problem with hiring illegal aliens. And there's a hell of a difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien. The wall doesn't mean keep out, don't ever come in, we're not going to allow any immigrants. The wall simply means please go through the door. Let's use the door instead of uh, just walking across. Now, that's uh, two points that I want to make. You like my text, Ken, by the way? <laughs> um, That'd be a good uh, – yeah, we talked about finding a sponsor <laughs> for that for that segment. I, hey, Charles, I had another uh, sec- or another text that said, find some government agency to sponsor uh, that segment. Oh, yeah. that, that would be appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Thank that you, Charles. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it a lot. Um, and appreciate all the interaction. And I mean this sincerely, guys. Um, I enjoy Jeff's call. Um, and and we kind of play games with one another it's a little bit, you know, gamesmanship on his side and gamesmanship on my side. Um, and I understand Jeff's language. I mean, he's using you know, the talking points of the left immigration. You know, the Republicans are anti-immigration. I don't know a Republican. I mean, I'm sure there are some, but I don't know one that's anti-immigration. I know most are anti-illegal alien and most people believe that there, there should be a lawful and orderly way to end or to enter into our country. Um, and, and, I, and I'll say this, as a business owner, there's a great struggle, a constant perpetual struggle about what to pay employees uh, in, in relation to margin. you got margin over here. You know what margin is? The money you keep. And you got employees. And there's always a struggle. It, it's, 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 it never ends. You know, what is a fair amount for me to keep myself? I mean, I'm at risk. I borrowed the money. I built the business. You know, I'm, I should get a larger share of the, uh, of the revenue. But, but the problem in America today is not that employees are significantly underpaid. I'm on the record. I think the last 40 years of the American economic experience has rewarded capital at the expense of labor. I sound a little bit like a Democrat when I say that, but I believe that. I mean, I think, you know, capital has got more than a fair shake. Labor has got less than a fair shake. But I think when you start talking about what a Happy Meal or adult combo should cost at a fast food restaurant, a lot of this is, is inflation driven. And, and I have these debates with other business owners. Am I paying my employees enough or not? Well, I mean, it's not your fault the federal government decided to pay people to not do anything. It's not your fault the federal government decided to shut down the economy and, and just, you know, helicopter money all over the place. You're living with the, with, with the rest and residue of that. You're kind of caught in the middle of muck of that, but it's not your fault. And I think business owners want to be fair with their employees. If you're not fair with your employees, you don't keep employees long. And there's always a struggle internally of a business owner keeping the money or investing the money in his business. And your employees are your best in investment. But, but you know, is it worth $7.50 to take an order to fast food window? Or is it worth 25 I don't know the answer to that. But I know the federal government and its inflationary policies have forced business owners to make decisions they never imagined they'd have to make. Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.